time that is. Um, yeah, normally I will remove the sound of me opening a can, but I'm just gonna leave them in for this one so you will know uh, every time that I'm cracking open another. So here's the first one. Excellent. <laughs> uh, just gonna be Misato tonight. Nice. Yeah, I really, I tried very hard to find the Ibisu, but I, I went to three different Asian grocery stores and did not find it. So that yeah, was Yeah, Emily also couldn't, uh, she went to Mitsua a little bit ago, couldn't find it. I'm pretty sure yeah. they still make it, but... I know, I know I've let you down.
Hello and welcome to Ghost Divers. This is an anime podcast. I am your co-host Neve, and I'm joined today by your other co-host Connor. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, still saying your name every time. Um, it's just how it is now. This is that's what a, the intro is. That's the division of labor. Yeah, that we've created. <laughs> I don't say um, my own name anymore. <laughs> or just have others do it for me. Um. You you say it like this is like you taking some sort of like control or whatever, but <laughs> honestly, it's more of a podcast bottom move. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm just like you do most of the talking. I'll just say, hey, everyone. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't want to. Got a real pillow princess over here. <laughs> <I've>... <laughs> no, you know, I just feel like it's changing things up would just be too jarring for uh, for our listeners at this point. <laughs> you know, they're used um... to you saying my name. So, yeah. Um, uh, so, on the topic of never changing things up, we're gonna have a slightly different episode this time because we're <laughs> we're doing a a movie and three volumes of a manga. Um, so we don't have like episodes to like hang our discussion on. Whatever um, will we do? <laughs> yeah. Uh, surely it'll just be like a really short. You know, like most podcasts can talk about a movie in like an hour. So I'm I'm sure this will be a really short recording. I'm looking yeah. forward to going to sleep early tonight. Yeah, it couldn't possibly be a uh, just a sprawling, disconnected ramble, um, <laughs> touching on many uh, and various subjects. <laughs> so any <laughs> any starting thoughts or shall I just get into the synopsis? Uh, you know. Let's let's just go with the synopsis. Okay. Um, so, end of Evangelion. We're going to start with the, the movie first, then I'll talk a little bit about the manga after. Uh, so, we open up on Shinji at the lake where uh, Koru, you know, where we first met Koru, um, seeming kind of like dejected or listless there. Um, he then goes to visit Asuka in the hospital, uh, begging her to wake up and help him, or at the very least, just like chastise him, say that he's stupid, all of that. Um, in the process, he's like shaking her body and kind of pulls her. Um, and then she ends up splayed, revealing her still comatose, partially naked body. Um, and then it's like showing the ceiling during it, but we hear the audio of him masturbating. Um, and then seeing the having a sad little cum in his hand um <laughs> which is a reference to a meme that i don't know if you know connor but um I, for some reason i recognized it i think somewhere <laughs> deep in my subconscious it's it exists maybe you yeah. showed it to me and i uh Pro- probably oh you know what no no no. sorry this is we're already on a tangent um i know it from that death grip song that bjork was on I'm a sad cum, baby. oh <laughs> That's why I'm laughing. All right. Sorry. Continue. Um, Yeah. So then uh, Zayla discovers that Gendo is intending to use Nura for his own plans. I mean, they've, they've suspected this for a while, but um, the, the time is now. And so they dispatch our old friends who love to come kill runaway government organizations like nerve and section nine, the JSSDF (laughs) uh, to seize control of nerve and kill most of the staff. And basically, it's just a, a massacre that's occurring. Um, it's kind of remarked upon here that people at Nerve are not accustomed to the enemy being humans and having to pull a gun on 
other human beings, whereas these soldiers are clearly that's what they're trying to do. Um, Misato here orders that Asuka be moved from the hospital bed to the cockpit of uh, Unit 2. Um, I, I kind of plagiarized this from the summary on Wikipedia, so I would normally just call it the entry plug or whatever, but um, anyways, put into Unit 2 and placed at the bottom of a lake. Um, then Misato finds and rescues a listless Shinji who's about to be shot in the head by uh, some JSSDF troops. Um, we get a little bit of Misato like just taking guys down with her pistol and kicking some ass. And then uh, determined to have Shinji defend Nerve, Misato brings him to Unit 1's bay doors. Um, in the process, uh, is shot by a bullet by some soldiers that kind of open fire from a distance and one of them um, hits her. And before she dies, she implores Shinji to pilot Unit 1, um, gives him what she describes as a grown-up kiss, and promises to continue when he returns, and then forces him into the elevator before finally bleeding out. Um, Shinji then goes to the hangar with Unit 1 and finds it has been immobilized by fast-acting Mountain Dew. Um, uh, our old <laughs> just, friend. Yeah, just bringing back all the memes from our Ghost in the Shell episodes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um this is anyways. this is fast acting mountain dew light because it's yeah <laughs> yeah um so uh at this point um concluding that nerves defeat is inevitable gendo retrieves ray and plans to use her to initiate the third impact which uh we've referred to i don't know if we've like fully put out here it is a cataclysmic event that will kill everyone on earth and basically reunite everybody into like a singular consciousness um and thereby reunite gendo with his deceased wife yui hey, um that's there's no lore on this podcast <laughs> we're strictly we're strictly no lore I, podcast. I feel like the everybody's consciousness unites into one consciousness is kind of thematically important so that's why i'm bringing up the lore right now <laughs> okay okay um, okay well we'll excuse it yeah so um Attempting to stop him, uh, Rutsko sends a command. Uh, she's like reprogrammed the Magi. Um, the command is to destroy Nerve, but then finds that Casper, which, as a reminder, is the like computer core that is modeled on the woman's side of her mother. Uh, so it's like her as a mother, her as a scientist, and her as a woman. Um, Casper is the one who overrides her. So Rutsko curses her mother for choosing her ex lover over her own daughter. And then Gendo says something to Ritsuko that uh, there's just no audio for, um, and then kills her with Ritsuko's last words being, you liar. Um, meanwhile, inside Unit 2, Asuka finally reaches out to her mother, and, you know, as Ray was saying, like, you have to, to connect with the machine. Um, finally, it reactivates and responds to, to Asuka, and we get this sequence of uh, Asuka just completely kicking ass, destroying the JSSDF forces. Um, Sele unleashes a fleet of new mass-produced Ava units, which are these like white units with wings that, if you watch that one Robin Williams movie, you've seen a figure of. Um, <laughs> and do you not know this? There's a there's a Rob, there's like a really creepy Robin Williams movie where I think he's a pedophile or something. I it's been a really long time since I've watched it, um, but wherein he buys a figure of the mass unit Ava. Um, oh, wow. Yep. Yeah. Never, heard of it. Of it. <laughs> Never seen it. 
<laughs> okay, well, that does happen. Um, so anyway, it's the mass-produced Ava units, and they, like, basically descend down. She's fighting them off at first. Um, again, we just get, like, a ton of Asuka kicking ass, uh, but then... I think it was like before the the Ava units even came in, the cord was severed. Uh, so she's running on five minutes of battery. Um, I think there's like a comment when they first come of like, I forget the exact time, but it's like 20 seconds per each Ava unit. She mm-hmm. basically succeeds, except that then after a battery runs out, they heal themselves and then just like descend on her and just like start feasting on unit two and, and her and like, disemboweling and it's very gruesome and also like there are depictions that are suggesting that what's happening to unit two is also happening to Asuka because of the high synchronization rate mm-hmm. um after all of this unit one finally breaks free from the fast acting Mountain Dew I'm still gonna bring in um a little bit of humor here because it's the only way I can get through the synopsis <laughs> and uh then ascends to the the ground surface um and from the cockpit shinji sees the mass ava units carrying the mutilated remains of unit two and screams and credits but this time it's not flying me to the moon um but once again (laughs) we get scream credits um and then so that's the movie smooth jazz ballad smooth jazz ballad right yeah yeah Um, so anyway credits it's it's the end thanks for joining us everyone (laughs) <laughs> Next time on Ghost Divers, we'll be looking at Magic Knight Ray Earth. Um, so we, uh, you know, we really appreciate your uh, your continued listening, and um, we'll you know, look forward to next time. Yeah, uh, so go to exportaud.io and support the network. Um, bye, bye. Now it's Okay, you you can you can actually do the synopsis now. <laughs> what what synopsis? For the for the second half of the movie. There's a second half. <laughs> um is this why you don't hate End of Evangelion? You've never watched the second half? <laughs> no, I just I love how part 1 ends. It's so, you know, it's so bleak. It's so life affirming. Yeah. And- and that's why no 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 okay there's a part two we watched it we are going to talk about it um should i should i do the synopsis yeah you can you can take the second half i've been talking for a while cool part two synopsis uh so we cut to gendo and ray in the basement of nerve um or it might be the is it basement level one two or three there's just so many basements 
Um, Gundo attempts to merge with Rey, who carries the soul of Lilith, um, an angel hidden beneath Nerve Headquarters to begin the third impact. Having merged with another angel, Adam, um, which is now his his arm, uh, he will become a god if he merges with Lilith. However, Rey rejects Gendo, absorbs Adam, uh, and reunites with Lilith, growing to a gargantuan size. The mass-produced uh, Ava units pull Unit 1 in, into the sky <clears throat> and crucify it with the Lance of Longinus, our favorite magic item. Yeah, um, they, they give stigmatas to the hands. Yes, yes, right. All of this uh, highly significant Christian imagery here. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, with Unit 1 crucified, uh, I mean, there's like several moving parts here. And, you know... I I was it, not super interested in all of the mechanics of how this happens. <laughs> yeah, it, it. I mean, s- several Christological, y- you know, uh, metaphors collide. Yeah, there's the Sephiroth. Um, not Sephiroth, the Final Fantasy VII character, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the like actual uh like gnostic or whatever thing um, yeah yeah so always... no it's, it's not gnostic it's um what's the the kabbalah i think is what sephiroth's from um anyway so yeah all this stuff is it's happening um the you know the upshot of it is unit one absorbs the lance of longinus uh transforms into the tree quote-unquote tree of life which is like kind of what it sounds like um, gigantic cross shape kind of cross shaped tree um, yeah beginning third impact we're already we're too deep in the lore here um, <laughs> after several like dreamlike contemplations including a fight with Asuka uh, Shinji decides that he's alone and everyone in the world should die in response Ray slash Lilith um, trying to think of a catchy way to merge those names but it's not going to happen um, Ray Lilith begins human instrumentality and dissolves humanity back into LCL, um, otherwise known as uh, soup, primordial soup, reforming the souls of humanity into a single consciousness. Uh, Once he realizes that his wish for this kind of limitless existence, where all are one, comes at the cost of losing individuality, uh, Shinji rejects instrumentality, um, which leads him to acknowledge that life is about experiencing pain and joy. More thoughts on that later, probably. Yeah. Um, Unit one seemingly moving on its own. So, uh, you know, Ray seems to have some role in this as well. Um, Shinji's conversing with Ray, and Ray seems to initiate like the de- um, the reversal of of instrumentality. So her g- gigantic body kind of starts disintegrating. Unit one uh, like breaks free, destroys the mass production units, and ends third impact. Um, maybe not exactly in that order, but this is pretty much what happens. Yeah, I just went with the Wikipedia synopsis for a lot of this, like, here's all the steps of how uh, Third Impact begins and ends, because a lot of the specific details there are kind of... I, I'm more interested in what's the conversation that Ray and Shinji have. <laughs> right, and like, I do think that... I know we're kind of lampooning this as as we are wont to do, Um but you know, all this is like significant and, and interesting. These these steps that are happening could be looked into, discussed. So uh, instrumentality is reversed, um, and Shinji and Asuka awaken on a shoreline littered with the wreckage of the mass production units and the body of Ray slash Lilith. 
and it's clearly this kind of post-apocalyptic earth um shinji begins to strangle asuka um but she caresses his face and he stops and breaks down in tears um and asuka finally kind of coming to uh, full consciousness uh utters the word disgusting and that is the end the real end of end of evangelion Um, no part three yeah uh, the in lieu of part three, because we love like threes here. You know, it's it's a holy number. Um, <laughs> I'm going to talk about notable differences in the manga version of these ending events, mm-hmm. um, and we'll we'll get into more of these as we go. But I just want to like highlight them all up front, and then I'll probably end up zooming in on like here are specific ones that I want to talk about um, as we're having this conversation. Um, but I kind of have these in chronological order, so. The scene where Shinji masturbates over Asuka's comatose body never happens. Um, instead, when Shinji goes to the hospital, uh, there is still some of this, like, why won't you just wake up? Um, like, help me. And what happens is Asuka reacts by lurching out of bed and trying to strangle him. And basically, um, like, nurse and other hospital staff have to come pull Asuka off of him. And he, like, retreats and briefly sees Rei. Um, along with like- Gendo. She's in, like, a rage where she's, like, screaming, I hate everyone. Like, yeah. she's screaming hate, hate, hate over and over again. Yeah. Um, and I think also, is to some degree, supposed to be mirroring how we've seen, like, Berserker mode stuff happen with Ava's. Um, just in the, like, way that she, like, lurches and jumps on him. Um, and also this like recurring strangulation that the manga mm. in particular really focuses in on, I think. Yeah. Um, then uh, this is the one that I, I really don't fully know how much I feel like is an improvement. Um, most of these I actually like more in the manga, but this one I have far more mixed feelings on, which is that uh, instead of Misato, Gendo actually initially like saves Shinji from the JSSDF soldiers and, um, also throughout this, we see Gendo employing an AT field from the atom in his hand, which doesn't ever happen in the the uh, the movie. Um, I was going to say show. Um, and then we actually get like Shinji finally confronting Gendo about his failures as a father and Gendo also being like fully admitting to hating and resenting Shinji, um, which is just a thing that we like that never gets like finalized in this explicit of a way in in the show or the movie then uh misato effectively saves shinji from gendo because gendo's like i have this whole plan i need you to get to unit one to like do my plan for me and misato basically like saves shinji from that but then it's like i'm still gonna get you to unit one um and so then it it I think it's significant because it colors the conversation that Misato and Shinji have a little bit more, where it becomes more explicitly, like, I I have here the note of it could be cynical to say that Misato is good cop to Gendo's bad cop, but there is actually, like, a fundamental oppositional thing of Gendo saying, like, I want you to end the world for me so that I can be with Yui. That's, like, all I've ever wanted from you is to just, like, give me back the wife that you stole from me when you were born um 
in this like really shitty way. <laughs> G- yeah. Gendo fucking sucks. Um, <laughs> and Misato was like, no, I want you to like get in there to like continue living and to like have some hope for like this world. Um, yeah. Which are just like fundamentally oppositional in terms of what they want Shinji to do. Um, yeah, there's a lot about um, the other thing that Gendo is. There's this dynamic with Gendo where he's like, "I hate the world, and I want to just like to destroy the world to get revenge." And he's trying to like convince Shinji to like to feel the same way. Like he's saying, "Like Shinji, yeah. don't you also hate the world? Like join me, like join the dark side." type thing and you know because you feel the same way as i do and misato it's i think her speech her her pitch to shinji is like actually substantially different here than in the movie um and it's more centered on like oh shinji like become the hero who's gonna like save the world and like Um, yeah so sorry yeah um, we do still get the the kiss, the grown up kiss from Misato, which again I identify a lot with Misato, but I not only like I know not to just like even hit on the child, let alone <laughs> kiss the child like this. So um yeah. you know, she she does seem to know that she's going to die, but I still don't think that really excuses <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah, it's excused because it's like a YOLO moment, basically. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Um so we also hear what Gendo tells Ritsuko, which is I loved you, which you know, she then responds, You liar. Um as well. Um I think it like is somewhat displaced when she gets to say that line, but um uh, a few other things here. So one significant thing is that Shinji manages to get to get unit one to move and to get inside of it in time to actually save Asuka, which is one of the things that Misato was saying too, is like, go save Asuka. Like, you know, I want you to live. I want Asuka to live. Like, I need you to go out there and help her. And so Shinji does actually save Asuka and then is basically the one who gets descended upon by the mass like the mass produced series of Ava, but then it just like goes into the crucifixion stuff. Like nobody gets torn apart in the same way <laughs> as the, the, the movie mm-hmm. um, in the manga. Um, we also then get additional scenes with Yui and Shinji, especially in the manga, including a significant flashback where Shinji was a child and she's explaining how it didn't used to be an eternal summer. There were seasons, there was winter and it had snow, which becomes significant for like the, the final ending, um, which I'll get to in a bit. Also, there's a little bit more where the manga is really focusing in on this like image of hands and what do hands do? Like the hands strangling and uh, slapping that happened throughout the, both the show, but also the manga, um, as well as holding hands, which is the thing that got introduced more with Ray. Um, you know, I, I mentioned in our last episode about Ray, like these times that Shinji touches Ray's hand, including like when she burns herself trying to make tea and, you know, takes her hand and holds it under running water. And then they have a conversation about like the times that they touched hands and the different ways that she felt every time that that happened. Um, and so I, I think some of that is specifically being drawn out to then have this like 
conclusion here where it really is this image of hands can be used to hurt but also comfort there are things that cause pain but that also allow us to connect with others and touch people and and feel loved and connection with people and so even in that moment where they are like fused having the conversation which also occurs in the movie um in the manga part of what they're specifically talking about is like I want to be able to hold hands with you and that that's like being drawn out as a thing that is like separate and distinct from this like fused unity that they have now that like the significance of holding hands is the like reaching out across a a gap or a distance Mm -hmm. um, to like in some way connect with someone else and that uh, he's then okay with hands also being able to hurt again if it means that they can also like be used to make this connection. Um, I, I will get into more. I have some notes here, but I think I, I can talk about in final notes about like what's happening with Koro and Ray in the manga. Um, I, I will skip ahead here to the final scene of a post-apocalyptic landscape. Shinji strangling Asuka. That doesn't happen. Instead, we get a chapter that is like a time skip or something, or it's like things have been reset or whatever. Um, there's some new reality where people do not remember what happened. Although there mm-hmm. are artifacts of the mass produced angels that are like these weird statue things, um, that remain. And we get the scene of like Shinji's going to Tokyo to go to, um, I forget if it's high school or like undergrad or whatever, but it's basically, yeah, I think it's high school. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's basically going like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go, to to Tokyo is on a train um and then Asuka's trying to get on the train and it's just like crammed and Shinji reaches out his hand and then we again get the like hands connecting um Shinji helps pull Asuka on the train and then holds her hand too long and she's like what are you doing this is weird um what do you like think I'm cute is that why you're holding my hand so much um and things are kind of like awkward and then they like separate and go their their separate ways um but this is what we get instead of this like strangulation disgusting um which is just like starkly starkly different so mm-hmm. yes um, <laughs> i don't Quite. i don't know i don't know if you want to start there or if there are other things you would rather talk about first before we get to what's the final like concluding scene um one other note there is a bonus chapter but the bonus chapter is like very specifically supposed to like satamoto has said it's not even supposed to be considered like a continuation of the story of the manga or of the show or the movies or anything. It's literally just like this cute winking thing of a character who appears in rebuild is instead transposed to be like when Gendo and Yui were in college. And then she has a crush on Yui um, is kind of the, the whole thing of it. Um, And throughout it does not look like the character in the rebuild movies until the very end when Yui uh, gives her her glasses and does her hair up in pigtails. And then she looks like the, the Mari from the movies. Um, so yeah, that's, it was like literally just put in because the rebuilds were happening at that point, And it was like, Oh, I can fill some more space in the back of this Tonkaban. Let me just do a cute chapter. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's a great we're not going to talk about it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even seen the rebuild and I was like, Oh, this is, this is nice. Yeah. I can, and it's there's just, stuff about like Yui and Gendo in it as well. Yeah, I feel like there's, like, some thematic stuff that's happening around just, like, 
you know, people wanting to connect, but then also the like lack of connection causing pain and things like that, that, but it's like being like transposed into this, like almost like not like romantic comedy necessarily, but like, it's kind of like just a romance manga thing. Yeah. In like a, a nice cute way. I recommend reading it, but we're probably not going to talk about it much beyond this because yeah. it, <laughs> it's so unrelated. <laughs> um. So if it's okay with you, I think, I don't want to. I don't want to front load the episode like we always do. Um, so if it's okay with you, maybe let's just start at the beginning of EOE and then work through EOE and kind of talk about what we think is going on, what we think it's doing, and then we can kind of, you know, reach our conclusions after after that. Okay. Um, okay. So the first scene in EOE. The infamous, like, first scene. Um, we, so it kicks off with Shinji at this lake where he met Koru for the first time. And I think right away, we are introduced to a version of Shinji that we haven't really seen in the show. Um, the way that he is, like, drawn with his hair over his eyes. And just the, the way that he's presented, like, it at least strikes me as markedly different. Um, he's standing alone. His eyes are obscured. Um, I feel like this is immediately reminiscent of Gendo, um, whose eyes are often obscured by the reflection in his glasses. And there's a whole bunch of uh, visual play around Gendo's eyes um, being obscured or hollow or whatever throughout the series. And I feel like this link kind of immediately begs the question, like, okay, why is there this difference? Um, and it seems like we immediately get an answer uh, with a, uh, I don't have the technical knowledge to explain this, but there's like wreckage around, there's an electrical pole, and one of the like electricians right in the question bucket, tell me what this is. Uh, part of the electrical pole like falls off. It's head shaped. It's clearly head shaped. Like so, it's you know it, a visual analog for Koru's death. And then we cut away like from this scene. But I feel like this scene is um, feels very deliberate that this is the first scene because it's marking off like a state of mind uh, for Shinji as a kind of starting point that um, is significant for. EOE and, and what happens. Um, yeah. And of course, we then immediately transition to this hospital scene um, where Shinji enters Asuka's room. He makes a remark to himself about like, oh, I'm afraid or I can't talk. I can't remember what it is, but I think it's afraid of Ray and Misato. Um for whatever reason, he feels like he's just completely isolated from them. Um, so he's like imploring Asuka, uh, as you stated, as you outlined earlier, to some sort of like to talk to him, comfort him, um, insult him, whatever. And then, you know, the rest of these events transpire. Um, I think, I think what's happening here is that Shinji is, Yui is setting up the fact that Shinji is 
in crisis as a starting point and as like a problematic that is going to be something that the movie is trying to work through. Um, yeah, I like. I thought in particular here about the difference between these starting scenes and the conversation that we had about Korra's death in the show versus the manga and my differing reads on those and that like the way that Shinji kills Koro in the show I think leads to it's why part of part of why I have this read of like it is Shinji becoming the monster is Shinji becoming dehumanized and becoming like the pilot of unit one that Gendo wants him to be mm-hmm. because we then see in end of Ava Shinji becoming like a Gendo yes. in this this very stark way um, that, you know, you've been setting up here. And I think part of the reason why these scenes are so different in the manga is because at this point in the manga, Shinji has fundamentally gotten to a different, like, sense uh, of, like, the reason why Shinji is killing Koro is different in the manga, in my reading. it It is rather than it being this is what i must do like i have to like snuff out the this queer desire that i have to like put it into the more stark real terms to then like man up and be this person that is like the the just like terrible man that gendo is like that is like what shinji throughout the series like throughout the show they've been trying to make him into and him snuffing out koru's life is him like snuffing out any remaining like lifeline that he might have to something beyond this just like toxic masculinity. Whereas in the manga, the conversation is specifically about Koro being like, I have this deep love for you. My purpose is to like bring about this third impact that is going to destroy your individuality and will mean that you are no longer alive. And this like individual that I have fallen in love with. And that is why I need you to like end to this. And I, if you love me and you also want to like respect what I want, which is that I want you to keep living. Like you have to do this for me. Um, and that's part of why the, the death of Koru is like so much hornier to me as well, because it's like, <laughs> it's specifically like Shinji expressing a love that he has from for Koru. And then instead of going to the lake where they first met, which also is not the lake where they first met in the, the manga, but instead of that, he has a conversation with Misato about like, which I think he kind of does in the, the show, but it's like a little bit more drawn out of like, I like, I, I actually felt love for this person and they loved me. And I like, I wasn't even willing to accept that until this, these like final moments. And I'm like trying to figure out and understand. And I, I feel like the conversation that Misato and Shinji have is more constructive. Like, again, I feel like the manga has been setting up, these characters are becoming more and more willing to actually talk to each other what's about what's going on. And so when Misato and Shinji talk, they still end up like Shinji gets mad and leaves the car that like Misato is driving. And yet I think like they are still more genuinely trying to communicate with each other than what you see in the show. Um, And so he is not becoming this like terrible Gendo who is using others and is then going to, masturbate over a comatose teenager's body is instead this person who is like going to continue to like butt up against the the trauma of like the pain that hands can do against him but that is like still better set up and i think more determined to like pursue some other outcome 
if that yeah. makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, and I think for me, so as you know, like our readings on the situation, on the killing of Koru, I don't think they were like substantially different. Um, but we have like, there is some difference there. And yeah. my take on this is that I don't think at this moment that Shinji is like fully the monster. And I think that your your reading of what's going on with the killing of Koru in the manga, I think that is still like at play um in this in the show and the movie as well. Um and I think it's not it's not only the like programming of toxic masculinity that Shinji is um that Shinji is struggling with at this point. I think it's the collective trauma of and this is what this is really the the thing that I think is almost the main difference in focus of like the show and movie versus the manga. Um I think the show is really like honing in on the trauma of like otherness fundamentally. Um and so the killing of Koru is like not only obviously the snuffing out of Koru Desire as as you point out related to this like programming from Gendo um but the thing the reason that Shinji is becoming like Gendo is not only because centered on his like masculinity it's centered on his alienation from others um for me that's what defines Gendo in the show and in film and why he is the way he is um because he is so cut off from others and so alienated and unable or unwilling to like grapple to to fundamentally accept otherness he refuses to accept it um because he is so unreconciled to the pain um and that is what makes him that is what leads to his monstrous behavior shinji i don't think at this point is is Gendo. But the film is trying to draw these connections. It's trying to show that he is on the verge. He's at, at a crisis point where he is on the verge of like becoming like Gendo in this respect. Um, and that's what I think is happening uh, with this scene with Asuka, where it's, it's almost it's almost metaphorical for like this crisis where, you know, he can't, he's afraid and he can't talk to Misato and Ray. Um, he can't deal with otherness. So he wants to like, as a result, he objectifies others. Um, and this like objectification is exactly the kind of thing that Gendo does. Um, so he does this reprehensible act Um where he masturbates over Asuka. And I also think it's significant that this scene is what it is because so much of Shinji's like alienation and repression um, is also sexualized. Um, And so the fact that it manifests in this lashing out that is also sexual um, is reflective of like everything that the show is building towards. you know, since that scene in the like movie theater, um, in whatever episode I can't remember. And again, like, I think the film 
is presenting this as something that's reprehensible and tragic because Shinji like immediately when he does this, he kind of immediately starts spiraling into this self-hatred. And uh, again, like I don't think this is the, I think it's significant that this is the starting point of the film. It's, it's setting this up as like the thing that is going to be addressed um, and as like the arc of the film. Um, and so even though it is like a very difficult scene, I think it is extremely significant and has, and is, is very important for like all of these things that, um, the film is trying to set up and work through. Yeah. It's just like one, it's just like a. I'm for, I'm like putting this out not being like nothing like gross or despicable can ever happen in media, but it is just like a, a very gross and despicable thing. Um, mm. And we'll get to it when we get to the final scene. But I, I kind of just like, I, I end up hating what it's doing in this. Like, I feel like so much of what I like about end of Ava also happens in the manga, but it doesn't have some of these things. And I, my my feeling is that it is better for it because like it almost it feels so intense and so much of it is also leaning into this thing that like it happens in the manga and i don't know to what extent it is like Sadamoto having to pull from the source material, but I also feel like it just comes up less in the manga than the show, which is the show like c- continues to reiterate in this way where We've talked about, like, is this something that Anno necessarily believes or the series necessarily believes? Or they are they just trying to portray something about the way that humans interact? Um, and there's a tension there. But, like, I, my read of the show, even if we're, like, ignoring Anno as a human being, is that I think the show and End of Ava even more so does actually present a world where it is true that men and women cannot understand each other in this, like, very pop sci of the nineties understanding of sexual relations as like men are from Mars, women are from Venus. It gets set up again and again. It comes up with uh, Kaji. It comes up with like stuff around Gendo and Ritsuko and Ritsuko's mother. Um, It comes up with like Asuka and Shinji. And we'll, we'll get to the final scene of end of Ava. And I think the final scene of end of Ava, part of why it does not work for me is because it's, it seems to be reasserting, this same read of like the fundamental difference between man and woman that like just from me from a, like a queer perspective is just like such a, like it's, it's not interesting to me in a, in a way that the way that they focus on it in the manga being more about like the spaces between are what allow connections to even happen. And that like having the space then makes the connection that does occur actually significant and meaningful is like a more interesting way of talking about these things than I think the show and, and end of Ava really focus in on this, like, um, again, like this, like weirdly for me, like cis heteronormative understanding of human relationships as like the pinnacle of human relationships being a 
heterosexual relationship between a man and a woman and that like the fundamental design divide that happens is the like fundamental uh bioessentialist div- divide that occurs between male and female um in this way that it's just like really rubs against me and that i think also is just less interesting to me and so maybe the manga just handles it better because it is not in like it did not end in the nineties. It went way <laughs> beyond the nineties and the nineties was just way more this way of talking about things. Like, I don't know, but um, it's, it's one of the the things that just, I struggle with throughout this entire, it's like, I think been one of the friction points that I've had throughout this entire show and throughout this entire, um, like the movie and the fact that it is handled differently in the manga is one of the fundamental reasons why I prefer the manga. And some of this is just coming down to my personal preference, but I, I also think for me, what the manga does becomes more interesting. Um, but I, like, I feel like we might disagree. I feel like you prefer end of Evangelion to the manga. Maybe we can just say this explicitly right now. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do. Um, there are actually a lot of things I like in the manga. Um, and, and I hope that I rem- remember to discuss that. Um, but first, I just want to like say two things to that. Um, my my take on that is so the first thing I would say is regarding your point about the show holding up like heteronormative relationships as some as like a pinnacle or an ideal. Um, I don't know if I if I see that. Um, I, I definitely do think it, I definitely do think that is the primary model that it's uh, of relationships that it's like seeming to interrogate definitely. But also I look at the position of Koru in the show and again, respecting like the, the fact that there is a way that the killing of Koru in the show and the, I guess manga as well represents this like snuffing out of queer desire um my read on the killing of koru is not that koru has to die because queer desire can't like happen or be realized um and the fact that in the show this relationship with koru is so clearly positioned as something that is dangerous because it is so fulfilling and it can't happen because it's an ideal, an ideal. Um, and I think that there's something significant about the fact that Evangelion positions this so obviously like queer relationship as an ideal and then doesn't backtrack off of that or doesn't like undercut it in a way that like maybe we'll discuss with Ray Earth. Um, like other anime series do um yeah it's it, i'm i'm struggling with this because in some like i agree with you in that like the show and also i think the movie is very explicit about this being a desire that shinji has mm-hmm. and like I, there there's a part of this that really does resonate with me of like i you know i've talked about growing up in the midwest and just like the way that cis heteronormative constructions of relationships were like 
the only one that was like allowed to exist. And yet, of course, there is like the reality of queer desire and that that queer desire like has to butt up against the system. And so part of that rings very true. There's another part of it that is picking up on how much the show is talking about the fundamental divide between men and women. And so that when there is then this desire between Shinji and Kuwaru, I think in some ways it is being portrayed as like it Kuwaru is such a a dream of a boy we talked about in the anime compared to the manga mm-hmm. is like not really a real person. And that it is it's kind of in some ways like I'm not fully committing to this because I think what I said also about this ringing as actual true reality of what it means to grow up in a homophobic society or like a queer phobic society is true. But I think also with how much I see the show continuing to like forefront the fundamental difference between the sexes, there is a certain amount that is falling into this trope of like, Oh, gay guys must have it so great because like, Oh, like, of course, as a man, you know, your way around a penis already or whatever. Like, it just makes sense if it's two people of the same sex and this like weird, like this is the thing that gets said about queer relationships Mm -hmm. is like, the the way that it is like oh it's so much more easy to understand the body of another person oh aren't you like so lucky to have this queer desire or whatever which is like also not true to the full experience of like queerness either um but it is a trope and is a trope that i think is also possible or is like becoming part of it because of the way that koru is so like idealized yeah, idealized and just like ephemeral and not a real person in the way that Koru is like, I love Brat Koru in the manga, even though he's an asshole. And like, there are some, like, I still say, like, fuck Brat Koru for your like shitty, I thought you would be heftier comment to Ray. Um, but I, I like a Koru in which I can have feelings about, like, you're a fucking asshole sometimes, Koru. <laughs> um, because that is like more of a real character to me. And so it is so hard for me to not. To, to look at what Shinji and Koru have as a real relationship in the show, because we never really get that. We get the like dream of a relationship in the, this strange way. Um, oh, an interesting thing that happened as well. I actually like brought the manga in here to my recording studio slash closet. Um, <laughs> there's a part I'm just going to, I'm going to read this aloud. Um, so in the back of the, this is volume 11, which is the one that has Koru's death in it. Uh, Yoshiyuki Sadamoto writes, I have never had feelings for someone of the same sex before ellipses or so I thought in my childhood, I was enamored with anime and superheroes. I tried imitating them a lot. And apparently there was even a time that I thought I was Obake no Kyutaro. All of the pictures taken of me during that phase had me doing mischievous poses. So I think that there may be, uh, there may have been a time that I was mischievous. Even after reaching an age of discretion, which this is kind of tying into stuff that I'll get into more with Ray Earth, but there's like very much in Japan, this sense of like, there's a certain amount of queer indiscretion that is allowed in Japan when you are like particularly young. And then there's a certain point at which like you are now expected to fulfill societal roles. And that's when it becomes less acceptable. And this is why so much Japanese media about queerness centers on like teenagers or like middle schoolers is because that is like more socially acceptable for queerness to occur there. Um, 
So even after reaching an age of discretion, I was influenced by novels and movies that depicted the way men live and die. Stories about Common Rider, Bruce Lee, The Seven Samurai, James Bond, Lupin the Third, and more. More often than not, they were about men. Hmm. In Horror's <laughs> case, though Ray's heart uh, through Ray's heart flowing into his own, he is held captive by feelings that would get him nowhere because he is still unable to even comprehend the feelings. Actually, when I was drawing this volume, I was thinking to myself, Koru is a pretty good guy, and Shinji should try and or Shinji try and understand. And you're actually a little interested, aren't you? Then I came to the realization that I was sort of developing feelings for Koru. Whoa. <laughs> um, this is written in this joking way, but a lot of the the like writer and artist notes in the back by Yoshiki Sadamoto throughout these volumes has a certain amount of jokey tone about things that seem to be things that he's like seriously discussing about like his relationship to his mom and how that influenced his depiction of Yui and things like that. And so I think like the certain amount of jokey tone here, I don't want to take as I am completely joking around about like possibly having queer desire. I think he is taking a joking tone because he like knows that he is admitting to some level of bisexuality is my read on what's happening here. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially because of this line, even after reaching an age of discretion, I was influenced by novels and movies that depicted the way men live and die. Like that specific mention of an age of discretion is part of what like really stands out to him saying like, even beyond childhood where this kind of stuff would be considered societally acceptable, I'm kind of admitting to this and I'm just doing it in this jokey tone, which is like a very common in Japan as well to like take a jokey tone when you're trying to talk about something that's not fully socially acceptable. Um this is significant to me because my read from the series is that there like must be some sort of gender trauma that is happening to Anno as well. And at first I was not sure about that in the manga. And I always had this like weird tension of Quarter's death is so much hornier <laughs> in the manga. Um, and yet after this, like Quarter doesn't really show up. Whereas Quarter continues to show up in end of Eva. Um, it remains Ray throughout the rest of it. And I'm just going to talk about some of this right now. I'm like, I know I'm going off on a tangent, Connor, but um, hey, I will like, do this. You know, yeah. we're, we're one or two scenes into the film, so yeah, we're just, time um, to, it's time to just unload. I think part of why this happens is that I bo- my my read of it is that Yoshiyuki Sadamoto or the the manga at least like as a work as it's presented to me sets up a parallel of um how hands hurt and how hands connect and yet is doing the inversion throughout the series we continue to see people like hit each other hurt each other strangle each other in an attempt to hurt each other we also see people who are holding hands, touching each other in an attempt to connect with each other. And what I think is happening in the manga is being set up is that Kuoru has this death and the death is meant to f- feel significant and like Kuoru is removed from the story, but that it is specifically the act of strangulation that is occurring or this like act of like what would normally be causing pain that is actually this moment of genuine connection that is happening between Kuoru and Shinji. And then it then sets up the parallel of when Rei and Shinji are like fused. And then even when they are like trying to separate and are holding hands and talking about like, what is it that you want? They are still a single consciousness there. And it is then 
I think showing the way that like in that moment, in that singular consciousness, like in this attempt to escape suffering by no longer having that division between each other, by no longer being able to have holding hands and like have that be a loss, that actual like deep connection that they are having is now a thing that is causing Shinji pain and it is like not what he wants. And so I think they're like very, the manga is very specifically setting those up as these like weird inverted parallels of the way that otherwise throughout this strangling slapping blah 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 has been causing pain and holding hands has been like connection and joy and mm-hmm. then it's like kind of getting inverted with Koru in, and Ray in this way where they're like very specifically being set up as as parallels and so we kind of get multiple volumes that are focusing on Koru and then we get multiple volumes at the end that are focusing more on Ray and it's like specifically to set this up and so when I first read through the manga I was like kind of frustrated that Koru gets like removed from the story and then it just becomes this like almost like heterosexual ship between um, Rei and Shinji that is then like ultimately setting up like Asuka and Shinji. Um, but I, I think actually what is happening is like more convoluted or or um, is actually hinting at like some greater bisexual desire throughout this. So yeah, like all of that ended up actually working more for me, especially on this final reread where I was doing it along with the show and where I was like really trying to think through these things um, in a way that, you know, when the, the manga finished and I bought the last three volumes and read through it, I was kind of just like trying to finish it as this thing that I've like been reading for many years of my life. So (laughs) um, whereas like now I was like really thinking about like, what is the manga to me? Why do I say that I like the manga so much? I still have certain tensions with the manga, but it like it is working for me in this way where and this is also tying into I think the manga in particular, the the movie and the show also touch on this. Um people often talk about Buddhism with um like Evangelion, and I, I think some of it is coming from the fact that a lot of American understanding of Buddhism comes from Zen Buddhism, although Zen Buddhism is also like one of the main forms of of Buddhism that it occurs in Japan. So it still kind of makes sense, but a lot of the Zen part of Zen Buddhism actually comes from Taoism. And I, I think a fundamental divide between Buddhism and Taoism is how they conceptualize and understand suffering where Buddhism is often very specifically about suffering as a thing that we want to escape from. And we're going through these cycles of life and like enlightenment is when you're finally free of this cycle and you no longer have suffering, which is, you know, you could like draw the parallels to the third impact Mm -hmm. um, and like the merging of souls as like this mass enlightenment of all humanity. Um, And Taoism specifically has this framing that is about the yin and the yang and is this thing of like the yin and the yang represent the way that human beings understand the world and not the truth of the world, which is that like the way that just like our brains or ourselves understand what we get is by contrast. That is like how our perceptions work. That is how our senses work is the contrast between things. And so we then have this experience of joy, but that experience is only possible in the contrast of suffering. And that what Taoism becomes about is figuring out how to position yourself so that you can like, you can appreciate 
the the good that you have you can like have these moments where you are pushing towards like what it what are the moments of love what are the moments of connection what are the moments of joy how do i like experience this and how do i how do i contribute to a world where this is happening for other people as well um and where i am not like contributing to suffering but that also has this deep understanding that suffering will continue to happen and that that is like a natural part of life and it is in fact necessary for our like understanding and perception and experience of like joy and and these like more positive things um and that all of this is like a purely subjective thing that is happening within us and yet Taoism sort of takes this perspective of what we should do is we should focus on whatever like the current reality or experience that we have is and figure out how to like fully partake of, of that and not concern ourselves with like there there is another reality beyond this but like and it is like can be interesting to think about it but part of the thinking about it is actually just to like better understand our experience right now and how to like move through our experience right now and, and achieve things that are going to be beneficial for ourselves and others. And so for me, Taoism is just like fundamentally a more optimistic and hopeful, um, philosophy than, than Buddhism is. Um, I like, as someone who is like, you know, read a lot of these things. There's a reason why I'm Taoist and not Buddhist. And it is because I was deeply depressed. And when I was like looking into Buddhism, it did not help me. <laughs> um, and yeah. Taoism did. Um, and for me, the manga is just so like, I think both of the, the series, like the, I think my like read and we'll get to this when we get there and I will let you like continue on with whatever you want to talk about. Cause I'm full on tangent. But like, if I had to like do a scale of the worldview of the world is suffering and we need to escape suffering to like the, the world contains joy and suffering. And like, there is such great hope for joy and like we can achieve and work towards greater connection. We can work and like towards and achieve like greater utopian existences is end of Ava is the, like the world is suffering. I think all of them are like on the spectrum. I don't think either of them are like fully one to the other, but I think mm -hmm. end of Ava is the most like the world is suffering and we need to escape it. Um, even as it like tempers that, then there's the show, which I think is a little bit more in the middle. And then I think the manga is like the most optimistic, like human connection is fundamentally possible. We'll like continue to work at it and get better at it. Um, and that's why I love the manga so much. So I will throw it back to you. <laughs> yeah, I think I don't even know where I was. I'm just completely discombobulated. <laughs> yeah. I'm just joking. We yeah, we were talking about uh, Shinji becoming Gendo and the first literal first two scenes. <laughs> so but I think this this is a good moment to just like fully pivot to t talking about the manga and the show. Um, I think there's a way. So first of all, I don't think that EOE is concluding on the world is suffering and we need to escape it. Um, I I think it it like I I want us to like just get to the end and talk about my feelings on the end. But okay, I'll just say let me just throw this in. I think it strongly rejects the escapism. Um, yeah, I think it rejects the escapism, but yeah, I feel like we just like part of it is just like we either need to talk about the final scene right now or we have to like hold off on our full 
knockdown drag out fight about this until we get there. <laughs> but yeah, I, I will well, let you like finish a thought about it. We don't we don't have to fight about it. Um, <laughs> we just have like we just have different views on it, um, which I I think is like I think it's actually interesting um, that we have two different views. Um, the thing about it, this is where I was getting to. Um, I think to some extent, the manga can. I, I totally agree. The show and the film have a have a very different focus. Um, they're focusing on a completely different part of this equation um, than it seems the manga is, and I think to some extent, the manga can do what it does with the ending because the the show and the film have done what what they do, um, and that is in no way to subordinate the manga to the show and the film. Um, they're both like extremely, in my opinion, extremely important and valid like sides of this equation. But I think that the film is working through some things that are prerequisites for like the kind of the, for the stage that the manga seems to want to be in and like move on from. Um, and the manga doesn't really like, and, and, and again, the manga like glides over a lot of the things that I think are necessary that the film does. Um, but maybe we can, uh, deal with that at, <laughs> at the end. Um, oh, the other comment I wanted to make is about the heteronormativity in the show. Um, I don't know, I don't feel the same that it, it falls down or that it, um, lands on that kind of like pop psych, you know, men and women can't deal with each other. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus type thing. I think it is. So first of all, I think its main priority is like looking at relationships between like humans, period. And I, the other part of that is that sex. And sexuality is like it, impossible to remove from that equation. So, uh, of course, like the result of that is is that it it looks at relationships between men and women, and it, it subjects su- subjects them to this kind of like critical evaluation. But you know, as we've discussed, like it 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 doesn't completely uh ignore or blot out like other possibilities even though it doesn't like realize them in you know a satisfactory way um it doesn't i will say it doesn't really realize any relationship in a satisfactory way it's kind of the point um but it, it doesn't blot them out um I, I think the um the whole like men and women can't relate to one another I feel like it's less of a like men are from Mars, women are from Venus thing, and more of like a Lacanian like there's no rapport between the sexes. And while that is still like, I mean, I roll my I, eyes at that part of Lacan. So <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say like while that is still like this kind of un unreconstructed view of gender and not entirely satisfactory on that view, I, I do think that there is like a deeper nuance to that than um 
than just like the uncritical, like bioessentialist, you know, pop psych thing. Um, and I think that is more of what Ava is doing. Um, I, I don't think, I mean, we have views like, like Kaji's views are in the show, um, or they are spoken in the show. Um, I don't think that they are like unchallenged or, uh, very convincing. Um, I think, I think they are challenged, but I think like, this is why I hate the final scene of end of Ava so much, because I think the final scene of end of Ava reasserts it in a way that is like impossible for me to get over. Um, or is like, it's like very difficult for me to like the, the end scene is specifically Shinji strangling Asuka and Asuka being like, you're disgusting in this way that I see is like very specifically reasserting. This is the core tension is that men and women can't understand each other, which is being like further drawn out by the fact that they are coming out of the like tree of life, which is a, a type of world tree, which is like a thing that exists throughout lots of different like religions and myths and everything. And especially it being, here's this post-apocalyptic landscape, two figures emerge out of the tree of life. I am going to think of how there is originally like two people. There's a man and a woman that is created at the beginning of Nordic. Well, so like Nordic, like old Norse has like their own Adam and Eve, a man and woman who are created. And then this also then gets repeated when uh, Ragnarok happens, where Yggdrasil, the world tree, is what shelters and protects one man and one woman, Leif and Leif Thrasir. And then they emerge out to like restart the human race after. Um, and some of this is also probably created from like a lot of what happened with old Norse was that a lot of it got written down by uh, Christian monks. So a lot of like their, the like faith that existed previously, those stories were then transcribed by Christians. Um, and there's like clear evidence in just the quality and like even some of the words used that it's like possibly dating from different times that like specifically the myth of Ragnarok has some parts that suggest that like in the very end, there were parts that were inserted that were by a Christian who was like transcribing this. And some of this also comes from like, there's a certain read that Leif and Leif Thrasir is specifically them trying to set up like, ah, here, Leif and Leif Thrasir that come out, they are Adam and Eve who then are going to exist under a monotheistic God. I'm, I'm somewhat bringing this up. It's like a slight tangent, but it's like, it's hard for me to not see this read of what is Asuka and Shinji at the end, specifically it being they're the only two people who are depicted in this post-apocalyptic landscape is they are Adam and Eve in this way that like really asserts this, um, like it, it like asserts this, like, the fundamental thing is the divide between the sexes that is like what creates life, but is also like the fundamental pain that exists at the heart of all people. Um, in a way that like it, that being the final scene makes it be like, no, I think the show and the movie, I think Anno is a person who fundamentally believes that men and women, the sexes are different. And that is like the, the core tension. That is the core suffering because why else would he show that as the core suffering that occurs after like the split? Why else would he have it be Asuka and Shinji and it be specifically this like 
male violence against a woman, the woman like reaching out and him crying and, and like the woman calling him disgusting. If it was not like, this is what the series is about. Um, and that is, that is why I like find the end so despicable is because it asserts this view of humanity as being like, like, I'm just getting to the end now because I just like, I need to put this out here <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that yeah, you like yeah. fully know my read, Connor. I yeah. don't want to keep talking around it. We're doing the episode finally. It's so, like, it's so hard. Yeah. It's hard to talk it's around like, when, when it's such I, an elephant in the room. Yeah. I get to that final scene and I see that there is like some gesturing of like some hope because finally like, like Shinji is alive now and there's like this possibility for the continuation of humanity. But the way that it is presented one by having it immediately go to like this extreme act of like Shinji strangling Asuka is to me, like almost feels like this, like, Oh, you're so stupid. You like split up humanity. And now you're just like right back to this, like pain and, and trauma and like hurting each other. Mm-hmm. And it's specifically being framed around the division between the sexes and that the hope that you can read into it in this moment is that Asuka and Shinji could be the progenitors of like the new race of humanity or like the, you know, the new population of humanity. Um, the show does not give you evidence of other people coming back all, besides saying that like anyone who will wills it could. Yeah. It but, gestures towards it. Yeah. But it's like the, the ending is fundamentally is like gesturing towards like human sexuality and men and women hurting each other, but like producing offspring is I think like heavily, uh suggested throughout like also just like shinji being on top of her and her like stroking him and everything Mm -hmm. um her line being disgusting is like specifically framed around her reaction to in this moment being aware that like shinji used her as for his like jo's sessions and stuff like envisioned her and once did it over her actual real body in this way that is just like so bleak about the suffering and the the pain that occurs that it it is like it feels i get to that ending and it i know that there are little points of hope that are being presented here and mm-hmm. yet those points of hope are also tying into this reading of humanity that i don't agree with or that like i don't think is actually as interesting as what we end up getting in the manga which is this more like we see reality and at least for me, like I know that my everyday life is like full of suffering um, that like there is pain and there's also genuine commun- like communication and uh, touch that can occur between people. And we, we just like see that playing out and I don't need to have like this extreme, like dark fucked up here's Shinji strangling Asuka to be aware that there's still suffering in the world that like, Shinji and Asuka are existing in. Um, But that is a world that like more fundamentally provides a hope for various forms of connection and for various forms of connection that are like not so subsumed to heterosexuality in the way that the, like the movie does. And so that's like, this is like the core reason why I'm just like, I don't like this movie is specifically the like strangulation at the end. (laughs) Um, it yeah, just it doesn't work for me and it, it like i find it not interesting i yeah um yeah it's it's a lot to take in. Um, it like it feels like too much of it is meant to like shock and stuff than to actually be like 
Like, I feel like they can say this without it being this. I think, I feel like they can show, like, I think the manga could do more to show how suffering is, like, still occurring in that world, but I think it's still, like, gestures at it. And, I, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's, it feels so depressing to me, like, end of Ava and the final scene. I don't see the hope in it that you do. So maybe you can explain it, but, like, the hope that's there just feels so subsumed to, to cis heteronormativity that I'm, like throw my hands up i, I yeah. hate this movie <laughs> yeah i'm, I'm um, despite you. realizing that i actually uh i th- i did like this movie more than i thought i was going to when i watched it so <laughs> <laughs> well that's good um so how do i begin um i think we agree about what's happening with instrumentality and the reversal of instrumentality right like that Shinji is making this choice, all, all this stuff that we've been talking about, you know, forever now, um, about how being, you know, being human means like being an individual among other individuals. There is, you know, that entail fundamentally entails otherness. Um, otherness, you know, entails pain like to some extent um and you know this is kind of like because it because of this instrumentality destroys otherness um it, it's somehow like this false utopia which you know shinji is like choosing into it, he's choosing otherness again because there's some value in this um yeah okay i, I feel like we agree on that um the thing with Asuka, so your point, your point about like the resonances with, I mean, I don't know anything about Norse mythology, um, so I can't speak on that, but the resonances with like Adam and Eve, it, I mean, that's clear to me. I also think though that it's significant that it's Shinji and Asuka here, not only because it, it's like a, a ship and it's, you know, a heterosexual ship, but also because of who the characters are. And this has been like the relationship between them and what it means for, for, for their personalities and who they are has been like very carefully plotted out through, through the series. And I think there are other like, I think it's significant. The movie zooms in on it and, and significant, in other ways beyond just like, I, I don't think the main point personally, I don't think the main point is just because it's like a, a straight ship that they can do. Um, I think first of all, like, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's like, because it's a straight ship, but I do think that like, whether, whether they are intentionally doing it or not, it is a reassertion of like heterosexuality or like, it is a reassertion of if what you're going to present here as like the final opportunity is this heterosexual option. It is like in some ways continuing to gesture to, especially when throughout the entire thing you feel like continued to set up. Like I think the, the show will sometimes challenge stuff like Kaji saying like men and women can't understand each other, mm. but I do think it like continues to return to it as a thing that like, asserts 
it like continues to assert that there is some truth to it in a way that I don't agree with. Um, and I think the ending here really asserts it. And that is different than them like trying to set up a heterosexual ship in like this representation sense. That's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm specifically um, talking about it as like a worldview that they have about like what are what is the fundamental relationship of humanity and like what is the fundamental um like tension that exists between humanity how do we best represent that and what they are saying is through specifically like heterosexual intercourse and the like way that men hurt women um yeah so okay yeah so i think (laughs) i think we're i i think we are drilling down on the like on the difference in reading so my whole thing is basically like i think the conclusion that is trying to be reached could not be reached like with another character because of like the content of the characters and what their relationships are like. Um, and like, so I'll just go like with my reading and then we can just have it all out on the table. Um, so Shinji, like, you know, again, he's, He's chosen otherness, right? There's been a whole like mm-hmm. hand wringing about it's like like when you choose otherness, you're choosing division and you're choosing all of this pain and trauma. Um and Shinji says, No, I, I'm I'm okay with that because otherness needs to exist in order for there to be love, or you know, is something of that sort. And like if if that's the read, then why is the final scene so bleak? Um, and I think it's because the series is like very, the series isn't going to let us off the hook with a storybook ending. Like it's, it's rejecting the false utopia of a world free from otherness and pain. Um, but like, and, and that rejection, Shinji's decision to accept otherness opens up the, this possibility to begin a, an ethical relationship to otherness, which I think is what the the movie is trying to achieve. But it also isn't somehow it wouldn't be genuine for like this possibility to just be achieved instantly and miraculously. And presenting it that way would cheapen the whole point that the series is working towards. Um, like this possibility of an ethical relation to otherness of course, you have to. You can only achieve it by first accepting otherness, which Gendo cannot do. Um, so Shinji is breaking from Gendo um, and, and moving past that. Uh, you know that the reproduction of that trauma or neurosis. Um, but it's not just like a triumphalist like narrative about oh Shinji moved past it. The series is very like serious about the fact that yes, he is choosing pain. Um, and that pain doesn't just go away. Like you still have to grapple with that. And it is still just, it is, it is not just somehow, uh, obliterated or erased when you choose otherness. Um, you have to choose otherness, like in spite of this pain. And when, when instrumentality is reversed and they're back on the beach, you know, it, the that like that pain and otherness and alienation hasn't been overcome, um, and I think Shinji's like lashing out is, you know, an in instrumentality. He like was this false utopia where he was stripped away of all of that, 
stripped where all that was stripped away. And now like imagine being like restored to individuality and having the brunt of all this trauma that he's been experiencing, like that we've seen in this agonizing detail, um, like returning to him because again, it, it hasn't been erased. And in this kind of like rage, uh, this, you know, emotional like rage, um, he starts to strangle her. Um, and again, I, I trace this to like, this is kind of marking like Shinji re-experiencing, um, you know, again, all, all of this trauma. Um, and then Asuka's hand, like representing this reminder of the possibility of connection, which makes him stop. And then her indictment of him, like disgusting, as you said, she now knows because of instrumentality, like everything that he's done to her. Um, I, I view this also as the show, like affirming otherness, um, and this choice, um, because otherness means that like Asuka has a voice and agency of her own and she's rightfully like allowed to be disgusted and furious with what Shinji has done to her. And this, the movie is like making a choice to refuse to like elide the damage that these two have done to each other. Um, in favor of like this kind of cheapened happy ending. Um, it is insisting that they face the consequences of this and they like, oh, but with that, there is this, they're at the beginning of a new opportunity, um, that is signaled by like Shinji, except, you know, accepting otherness and making this choice. There is this glimmer of hope that, you know, they can now contend like with what has transpired between them and somehow make amends, um, or that they, they have to. And the movie, I, I appreciate this in the movie. It, it doesn't pretend that like this is easy and it doesn't prescribe a solution, but it challenges like it challenges us to accept that love requires otherness and alienation and pain. And that accepting those things is necessary grounds for moving forward. It doesn't tell us how to move forward, but it, it shows us like, it affirms the choices that we have to make to get to a point where we can move forward. So, I mean, ultimately, I feel like even though it is a very dark, uh, it's through a very dark lens, um, which I feel is totally consistent with the, the series and, and um, the film. Um, I think what we are left with is, is hope, um, even though it is like shown to us in this really dark way. Um, and I go on that whole rant just to say, like, all of the nuances of this for me wouldn't be possible if it were just like, you know, some other character, um, because so much of the content of Shinji and Asuka's relationship, even aside from them being like a man and a, you know, a boy and a girl, um, is about their personality types and the conflict between them and the ways that they've hurt each other is specific to the, the two of them. Um, so the fact that the movie zooms in on them and makes them like, uh, almost like the, the figure for this very like bittersweet view of human relation, uh, it is 
for me, like rooted in it, it, it doesn't feel like it has much to do with like this kind of relation between the sexes. It has more to do with what has transpired between them, which of course is like sexualized. Yeah. Um, so this is, I'll let you finish. <laughs> yeah. This, um, this, this thought, but it, which of course is sexualized. And, you know, I, I will also like, I will also say, it doesn't have nothing to do. Um, there is all of this stuff that's transpired between them. It's also like, again, the series dealing with like alienation and sex uh, being deeply intertwined um, for like living as a human. But again, like, I just don't think this could work um, with any other like character pairing. I think it's very significant that it is like Asuka and yeah. Shinji and not like somebody else. So this, this is the thing where like, I feel like we've like perhaps to some degree run into a, like what came first chicken or the egg problem. Mm-hmm. But like, I fundamentally believe, see this, the entire series from episode one being a series that believes that there's a fundamental desi- divide between the sexes and that that is like one of the most key points of like pain and suffering and tension that exist in human relationships. And so when you say like, well, Asuka is the one that makes the most sense because it's the one that has been like set up throughout the series as the one that has like these tensions. I'm like, Yes, because the fun the series fundamentally believes that like men and women are different, and this fundamental divide between the sexes is like one of the the most like fundamental pains that exist in hu- human existence. But let me let and me so ask. of course it's going to be Shinji and Asuka. And I want to like finish this one other thought, which is, and I think this is also confirmed by the show having Koru show up in Ava as the thing that can then tempt Shinji into instrumentality because it is specifically setting up. Kworu as the same sex that like Ray puts on to then like confirm for him that it can be safe and comfortable because it is not the fundamental divide between the sexes. <laughs> so what do you, okay. What I will say to that is if that's the case, um, well, okay. Two questions. So first of all, like, do you feel that this series is saying, is saying that, this like these divisions in humanity are like specifically gendered and gendered only or do you think the series is positing that it's between all people regardless of like maybe not regardless of gender but it is fundamentally between all people it is saying that it is fundamentally between all people but it is also saying that the like er version of it is this division between the sexes and i think it continues to set it up as like even like I think one of the other like core traumas that it deals with is the trauma of birth and specifically doing it around like focusing in on Shinji and Yui as the separation between like the son from the mother. Um, Like obviously the show also shows like the way that Shinji and Gendo like hurt each other and are at odds Mm -hmm. and like that comes up and it is a key part. So like, I think the show is invested in, various types of relationships and how those are like are um like the difficulty for people to to connect and yet i think the show continues to return to cis heteronormative like framings of it 
because like, I think the manga does this more explicitly, but I think in the, the show too, there is still this like sense of a lot of the tension that occurs between Gendo and Shinji being a tension that's happening around Yui. And so like, these these heteronormative relationships continue to be the things that are framed and like Kaworu, my read within the show and within like i think end of evangelion like further confirms this is that like Kaworu is aberrant because of the way that it contradicts this that Kaworu is the thing that can like shinji is like screaming terrified about like what is is happening and like terrified of rei and everything, and then Rei puts on the face of Koru, and then Shinji is, like, filled with bliss at the thought of being, like, united with Koru. And that is, like, specifically tying into a reading of, like, homosexuality that is tied up in, like, a... A, like, homosexuality is, like, an escape from the, like, core pain of heterosexuality that is just, like, that is not true, and that, like... I, I hate the way that Koru is used in this movie. I like, even as it is confirming, like this is the, the the thing here of like the, I care very little about representation in the way that like, like fuck. I don't fucking care if like Disney has a, a lesbian cop or whatever, like fuck like representation <laughs> as a concept. What I care about is this idea of queer resonance. Like what is actually speaking to queer experiences and like queer ways of, of existing in the world. And that, like the joke then being that like I point at R- Romeo and Juliet and I'm like this is queer resonance, <laughs> um, uh, the like forbidden love that exists between people and is like forbidden by society, um, but like the way that Koro is employed in End of Evangelion is specifically being employed uh, in these ways that like are are confirming Shinji as like having this heterosexual attraction to him and in this way is like representation quote unquote and yet is actually like striking me like really poorly as someone who like actually has the experiential things of like what does it mean to be queer what does it mean to have these like these queer desires because it is a thing that is like specifically setting it up as like if Koru is the thing that tempts Shinji into instrumentality, then like Koru is the escapism that needs to be denied. And like, so, that is like frustrating to me. It like, the in, only thing, in like a fundamental way that like, I, yeah. The only thing I'll say to that is I just want to, I just want to like point out that what is happening with Koru in that moment is also happening like in conjunction with many other manifestations of this. Yeah. Where, like, I think what is happening, going back into the show as well, when this whole, like, temptation of, like, becoming one, which we've talked about before, um, you know, it happens for Rei with Shinji. Um, we get this kind of, like, montage where all of the characters, it happens to all of the characters. And I think the point for me is more that this is the person that you you desire the most or that this is the person that is like most important to you yeah um, i mean so there's the like i agree with this reading that like what people are seeing are like those who they love most um but then that's this coming again, out this, like oh, that's coming out with like these heterosexual like yeah like hyuga well. seeing misato um 
Fiyutsuki seeing Yui. Yep. But this is then coming down to the way that the show like has handled these things heretofore. Um, because the relationship between Shinji and Koru is so like abstracted and the dream of a boy that you could be in love with. And the other one that we see is Maya and Ritsuko. And this is also a thing that has not really been like developed in any meaningful way. And so the way that it like shows up, like the thing with Shinji, I just, I struggle so much with the Shinji thing. And then the thing with like Maya is like, yes, like, Obviously, people are gay for Ritsuko. Um, but, like, <laughs> like, give me, like, an actual meaningful thing about what the, that means. Um, as much as I will meme on, like, Maya and Ritsuko um, and, like, enjoying them being lesbians. And, you know, we don't we don't see who... I guess... Does Misato see Kaji? I feel like Misato yes. should see should see Ritsuko. Obviously, if Ritsuko wasn't already dead, Ritsuko would see... Um, Misato, this is just oh, yeah, clear. For sure. Yeah, <laughs> we've established this. <laughs> yeah, we've established this. Um, but like, yeah, it is. It is still just this thing of like, I feel like that explanation does not still wipe away the the way that queerness is like continually employed, especially in End of Ava. Whereas I think the show is more interesting to me to some degree. But, like, the way that, like, queerness and then cis-heteronormativity are both employed, um, and it, it does it in this way that is, like, I don't know, like, it it doesn't actually, none of it rings true to queerness for me in a, like, in the way that, like, the strangling of Kawaru or, like, the killing of Kawaru in the show did hit me as, like, real what happens in the in end of Ava does not. And this is like an experiential thing that is hard to describe, but I, I am like trying to put words to it of like yeah. that when I'm talking about like what is happening with what does it mean, especially for Chinji as the like focus character for mm. the thing that finally tempts him into instrumentality being Koru, the thing that he then confronts when he goes when he like breaks from it is Asuka this is like if I'm thinking about this as like a narrative that is presenting these like images and these themes to me them showing the shots of like Hyuga or whatever his name is having Misato is not like fully wiping away what is like happening at the core of the story here and yeah so it's it's this thing of like and it it just becomes very frustrating then to me that like yes Asuka is the one who makes sense and Asuka is the one who makes sense because of the story that they have told up to Mm -hmm. this point and the story that they have told up to this point has been a story that has been so mired in this like view of things that then of course what the final thing is is like i i agree with your your read i agree with what you're doing and that it is like that this is what makes sense as the final conclusion to evangelion like it being asuka it being shinji strangling asuka it being this like reassertion of the violence that occurs between like men and women and you know 
all of that. Like, yes, that is the, the logical conclusion of the series. And the fact that this is the logical conclusion of the series and end of Ava, that the, the series did not like deal with these themes in a different way where this would end up being portrayed in a different way is part of what like rubs against me. And is part of why, even as I read the manga and I feel like that final chapter is a little too sugarcoated is a little too like overly optimistic. Yeah. I still feel like the core image that is being employed, the core way that they are talking about this is ringing more true to like an experience of the, then what would it be for to have this hope for like connection between human beings that again is still Shinji and Asuka. And so from this like quote unquote representation standpoint, is not queer. It's not depicting a queer relationship that Shinji is now having after, you know, but the way that it is being depicted is a, is a way that is talking about the connection between human beings in a way that actually like resonates with me more than what I see in end of Evangelion. And that is like, I can, I can still appreciate like how Evangelion, the show gets to this end of Evangelion conclusion and like, appreciate the narrative of it and what is happening with me is this fundamental like divide on how i see the world versus how evangelion the show and the movie is seeing the world and then the manga is seeing it in this way that also isn't quite exactly like what i would do or how i see the world and yet it's closer to to how i've like how i've arrived at things um and i also think to like some degree the manga is benefiting from coming out so long after the show and mm-hmm. in the Evangelion and being able to specifically play with like when I have Shinji going to the hospital, you now have in your head the scene that happened in the movie or presumably a lot of readers would. And so now I can play with that and I can subvert that and I can like do something else and I can do that in a way where you are also still engaging with like the extreme suffering that is shown in the movie and in the show. And that I can like begin to like, I think for me, and I don't know if this is the task from the beginning, I doubt that it was, but I think Sadamoto or I think the manga, like the, the way it is, it, however, however this came about, I think there is something fundamentally different about the manga of it begins to diverge in terms of like, it is almost a repeating of what happened before. Like there's almost the sense of like continuing cycles um, that like each end of Evangelion that happens is like, in fact, like a, another cycle of like the universe or something. Um, And that what, what happens with the manga is like, let us see how things would diverge. Like we, we know the story of the show and the end of Evangelion. How would things diverge if people started being able to, to, to connect a little bit more and just like a little bit more, just a little bit one each at a time. And how does that like mount up to a more hopeful ending? Like how, how can the manga itself present a way that like the show reaches things could be different. And then the manga is like exploring, okay, if Shinji returns, if Shinji has the sense of like, I do want to live and I want to like experience this and then goes through the cycles of trauma again, and then falls back into the same way that like, you know, I, I dealt with abuse. I dealt with trauma. I go through those cycles of abuse and trauma still. And 
sometimes I don't come out. Like sometimes the cycle will be rough again. It's never really been as rough as it was when I was in high school, but like it progressively gets better and there are setbacks and it like it repeats, but it, it, pushes towards something better and that like that that cycle is important and i think the manga is in some ways specifically playing with like you know how the the show ended you know how the movie went let us show you like the way that these cycles of trauma can repeat but then like be better the next time can continue to improve um and so i don't know if the manga by itself i would love as much as yeah. I do specifically having the manga in contrast to the anime and the, the movie, if that makes sense. It is like specifically reading the manga as something that is in dialogue. It's part of why I wanted to talk about the manga while we talked about the show that makes the manga meaningful and like actually pushing towards this in like a way that that actually feels like it is dealing with these themes and not just trying to write them up off whereas i think if the manga existed in isolation it would feel for me more just like oh and then everything's better but i I think it is specifically playing with like how abuse continues to cycle even with like even within an individual's life like the the trauma continues to cycle um yeah i i really agree with that and i think this this kind of gets at some of my, I don't even want to say beef because it's not really, it doesn't upset me, but I just want to point out, like, the way that the manga gets to the ending that you're describing is by erasing all of the all of the violence that Shinji and Asuka have done to each other. Um, insofar as they know, they have, they just have no memory of it. So they don't have to contend with it in the way that the the show really or the movie really wants to insist on um and yeah. i think that insistence like to me is is very necessary um because wiping away like shortcutting your way to like oh yeah you know here's this possibility for a better future by just being like the possibility is erasing like all of the all of the horrible stuff that we've done to each other um for me is like very it is very unsatisfactory um, i think but reading it as like in dialogue with the film and and knowing that that dialogue is happening like that's what i meant with my earlier comment that like the manga is silently gesturing towards the film and being like okay yes like all of those things, but also like how I'm picking up where the film leaves off, where the film is like, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to tell you how or show you how, like, I'm just going to affirm that like this, this choice to like be human and to accept otherness and that accepting otherness is like, and, and dealing with, all the shit that comes along with it um, is an ethically necessary choice. And then the manga seems to be like, okay, we're going to pick up from that point and try to imagine like how we, how we move forward. Um, I I think, and it's like, if I was doing this, I I would have the manga be less 
what this ending is. Um, I do think it hints to like, there's a part where Shinji seeing Asuka is like, have we met somewhere before? Um, that is like hinting at there's like still some residual understanding that is occurring, but I, I don't think it's quite enough. Like I, I wish that the, the manga had a little bit more of the, at least in, in certain ways, like showed, like, I wish they could even have like, there's certain amount of like stuff erased, but then we're like still gesturing at the way that people have hurt each other, Mm. um, more clearly because I do think that is an important aspect of it. But I think I still prefer this over end of Evangelion because I think where Asuka and Shinji have have like arrived at has been become such an abusive relationship that having this be the hope too also feels like as someone who has like escaped abuse, like no, like let them escape it to some degree. Yeah. Um in a way that they just like are not allowed to. And it is like it is set up as like they are the ones who will fall in love and like you know or that like that is like what is set up for them and that the hope is that they can love each other and that that like hope like part of if i'm being honest part of why i i might rub up against this so much is the fact that i had an abusive ex and that like i i got free of her and when i first got free of her i was like heartbroken about it because she broke up with me and i went to a punk show and i moshed until i had to sit in my car for like a half hour to be able to drive <laughs> and then i went home and i drank an entire fifth of vodka and then just like barfed a bunch and i can't drink cheap vodka anymore um and like I was that heartbroken over being dumped by the person who was abusing me. Um, And this, like, it is hard for me to see End of Evangelion and see, like, the way that their relationship, especially, like, the show has kind of been setting it up and the manga sets it up as well. But then especially with, like, the End of Evangelion stuff that occurs as, like... Like, let them actually be free of this to some degree. Um, And in some ways, I almost wish that the manga wasn't Asuka, is actually what I feel. I wish that there was some sense of, like, Shinji will be able to have this connection with someone else and it is someone new. Um, Because that's what feels most, like, true and genuine to me as a person who has gone through abuse. Um, Yeah. Because I, I don't like... Like... Yeah, I I don't like it being like here's this like image of abuse. They're stuck together and they have to learn how to love each other, which is a a somewhat like cruel reading of End of Evangelion, but it's like experientially when I'm watching it part of why I'm like so revolted by it. Um is because it is this like assertion of like you stay with the abuser. Um Yeah. I, and I don't think it's fully saying that, but it is saying it to a certain degree where it is like hard for me to deal with. Right. So. I, I think it's saying it in the general. I, I don't feel that. I think it's saying it in the general sense of, again, I, I feel like the main interest of the show and the film is a more general consideration of like human relationships. And I feel like it's saying you know, collectively, like, we will abuse each other. And in order to live, like, it it is to be, to abuse and to be abused. And one response to that is the response of Gendo, which is to say, like, well, you know, 
then we just erase otherness and we erase individuality. Um, but that is also like, in a way it is the most hateful response. Um, and I think the show, and again, like this is, you know, I'm throwing back to like Christopher and all of that. Um, the show is, is saying like, no, the only way forward is to choose into this and work through it because the, the pain and the abuse is somehow, um, you know, it's, it's intractable. Um, it's not, it's not a finality. Um, but it is like part of it, an eternal process, an eternal cycle, um, of what being human is. And, and also like the conditions that cause this, this pain and abuse are also the conditions that make it necessary, that, that are necessary for love to exist. And I think like the, the, the series and the show or the series and the movie, it is so, it is so brutal. And yeah, I mean, to, to like quickly interject, I think part of the tension that's happening here and especially like the, this is coming out with with how you're describing things is I do think that the show and the um, end of Evangelion, the movie has more of a conflation between like hurting each other and then like abuse proper that is not as present. Like abuse is depicted in the manga and yet hurting each other is also like a, as I think more separated out than it is in the, the show and in end of Evangelion. And like, I will continue, like I will continue to be hurt and will continue to hurt people, but that is different than like abuse. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, And and I, I shouldn't conflate those either. Um, And, and I think that I think the show and the film is, I think it's saying hurt, but I think the hurt like entails to some extent, like some portion of that it is like rises to the level of abuse. If that's, if that's yeah. fair. I mean, certainly with like Gendo and Shinji, um, yeah. but I, I think and, and, also and in, there's and a, in all humanity, like, yeah. Right. I mean, that's just part of, for, for, as far as we know, like that's just part of human experience. And I, I don't know if, yeah, I, I mean, I almost can't. I, I feel like that's that's part of human experience that where we're hurting each other, and then some somewhere like for some people, like that is always going to like there's always going to be abuse to some extent, like out in the world. Yeah, um, it, and. I think the the series is like the series in the film. For me, what it's trying to do is it's trying to like it. It wants to affirm like love and humanity, but it wants to get there through the worst extremes of human suffering, and it, it almost feels like it wants to make the strongest argument against like being human and otherness and like the possibility of love wants to make the strongest possible argument against that. 
and still at the end, like have love be affirmed. And there is a logic in that um, because that in a, in a way like provides also the most powerful, it, it provides a powerful affirmation of love because it's saying like, even in the face of like all of this horrific, horrific shit, like we're going to, I'm going to like work out this whole equation. And even in the face of all of this horror, like this thing is still like, like affirmed and like triumphant and worthwhile, like at the end. Yeah. I like, I, I appreciate that task and I agree with you that I think that is what I was trying to do and the part that like runs up against it for me is that I think in doing so it to some degree, like I'm going to say inadvertently falls into this, like, like probably my least favorite. I used to do set design for like plays and musicals in high school. Um, <laughs> and I believe it's carousel is the one that has an entire song about like, if you love him enough, it doesn't, hurt when he hits you and that is like a terrible fucking song and i i think there's a certain amount to which like it is it is trying to i th- i do agree with you that i think what the movie especially is trying to do is being like let's make the worst possible case for humanity and then still say like no but like humanity and the possibility for love exists and that's like a a thing that's still like necessary, worth whatever. existing and necessary but I think in doing so, it inadvertently falls into, to some degree, making a case for, like, even in abuse, there's still love and you should just focus on the love um, mm-hmm. in a way that is, like, as someone who is abused in a romantic relationship is just, like, very, like, it is, like, despicable to me. Um, like the ending of this, like continues to be like, I fully agree with what you are saying. And yet I still think the way that it then ends up being portrayed becomes despicable because it is this portrayal of like an abusive relationship as the hope for love. And I know how it gets there. I know how it's like setting this up. I agree with you that it's like trying to make this terrible case and present like hope, even in the face of all of that. And that that is like an admirable thing to perhaps try to do to try to like portray and achieve and yet i still as a person who's been abused then watch the the ending and i go like fuck all of this um (laughs) because like no like there are times where like no love will not get you through it love will not get you through it and you have to like separate from that person that person is like too bad for you and you need to be with someone else. Like, yes, like there is hope that you continue to to live, but it is like so laser focused on trying to set up these like symbolic um, images and these like pairings and everything that it then falls into. Here's Asuka and Shinji. And it's like, actually, maybe they in this form should not be together. And actually like what I like least about the manga ending is that it is still Asuka and Shinji. And instead they're just like erasing all of these um, yeah. instead of like presenting the way that you can move on to new people and new possibilities. Um, yeah. I think that is to some extent for me, that is a consequence of the way that it, the film tries to figure the collective 
in into individuals and Mm -hmm. that translation like I, i agree it can like it can come off or be interpreted like like what you're saying because that translation because what you know with what i think the show is doing i think it's trying to say this is a collective thing it's not so much about like on the individual level like you have to work through it like in this specific relationship it's more about like you know humans collectively like this is a condition of relation between all of us but i also like i would feel more strongly about that about that being what the the film does if it had this storybook ending where Asuka is just like, oh my god, Shinji, like, I forgive you, like, we're hugging, and it's this, you know, optimistic whatever, like, but instead we have, like, disgusting. Um, And this assertion of Asuka being like, no, fuck you. And and then no mitigation of that, um, and no resolution. And I mean, you can extrapolate and say like, okay, yeah, we we kind of think that maybe they'll work it out because they're the last people on Earth or whatever. But the film doesn't it, jarringly like refuses to do that, and uh, that's why I I can't believe I'm saying this. I I kind of like that that Asuka like has the final word there and that it is left this way. Um, that she gets to like assert that and not forgive seemingly not immediately forgive Shinji. Yeah. I just, it's, it's almost like it like works itself into a corner where it's either for me, I don't know. It's like, it's either hard for me to see the hope in it or the hope that I'm seeing in it is a hope that I think is bullshit. Cause it's like playing into this, like loving your abuser stuff and like neither of them work for me. And I know that there are other things that are suggested in it, but it's just, I like, yeah, it's, I think we will forever Connor, have this divide <laughs> I, like we might we might just need to move on we might just need to take a body break and come back and see if there's anything else we want to talk about but like i think we've we we, we will forever fight over this yeah <laughs> i don't think either of us are going to convince each other i and and that's okay like i don't want you know <laughs> i don't want my view to be like the one that wins out um because yeah. i think like everything you're saying is valid and that is the like i feel like this is a case of like we had conflicting views of the 08th ms team and how it ended and we were able to like achieve some synthesis of the two that like we were both like oh this actually does feel like the true like uh core tension of the ending that like we both agree on and i don't (laughs) think we're gonna reach that synthesis here and i think that's just okay but um yeah (laughs) yeah i I don't know. Like, I, I think we both recognize in our reading the other person's reading, and yet I don't think we're going to like reach a unified reading that will synthesize those both. I think we both just have our reading and are like, no, your reading is also like, I, I see it. I understand it. I just, it's not like, 
for me, for like my experience and who I am as a human being, um, we we as two human beings are confirming <laughs> that true communication and understanding between two human beings is impossible. There will yes. always be divides between us. <laughs> yeah, we can still connect and love each other, but um, we will still always, Connor, you and I, we will have this this space between us, the separation that will cause us pain, and that separation um, will be named Ava. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, for what it's worth, oh, I think, so thematically appropriate. <laughs> um, you know, for what it's worth, I, I think we've mapped out like the field of of possibility. Yeah, of, I think our readings uh, yeah. have like have mapped out a field where like this series is existing in, and like I, I do think that we've like identified. I think we've basically set up a framework to be like, okay, yeah, like, here's a lot of what's going on. Um, and also, I'm about to go on to, to another rant. So uh, if you want to do a body break. Uh, yeah, let's do a should. body break. Okay. All right. I have support on number three. Um, so oh, I've been drinking Kiranichiba on number three. So fantastic. Yeah, I, I almost never drink. So I have to be very careful here. <laughs> Um, because I'm like pretty buzzed after one or two. Um, so, but you know what? It's Saturday night. It's my birthday. Mm -hmm. We're talking about End of Evangelion. So yeah, dear listener, we are recording this episode where we get mad at each other about End of Ava on Connor's birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I I don't think we're actually that mad at each other, but. It's yeah. funny to talk about it that way. It is funny. And I've been like secretly dreading like the the possibility of us getting mad at each other since like our first Ava episode and it becoming apparent that we're going to disagree on the ending. Um yeah. <laughs> and then like shortly before we recorded this, like maybe like a week before we recorded this, I was just like, we're not gonna get mad at each other. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, and I, I don't think we have. Um, no. do you We've need... definitely fiercely debated each other, but <laughs> it, yeah. is, it, is, it is come with love. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, so we've discussed the ending. Um, I love that we just <laughs> straight up just discussed the beginning and the end. Um mm-hmm. And this podcast episode will be titled The Beginning and End of the End of Evangelion, um, because we're not going to discuss anything in the middle, apparently. Um, I just, I feel like we just had to have that conversation. I couldn't keep, like, talking around it. I feel like we just needed to to have that out. And this then... This is the, like, podcasting and, like, anime analysis equivalent of... Just having like mad sexual tension with somebody, and then ultimately like hooking up. Um, we've both just been like, we have we're gonna disagree, we're gonna disagree, um, and the tension has definitely around our disagreement about the ending of this film uh, has been palpable. Um, yeah. So it's so yeah. now now it's time for aftercare. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um. um. 
I'm so, I will be honest in that, like, the most that I wanted to talk about was the beginning and the end, but there's some other stuff we can, we can touch on. I just, part of me is like, I don't know if we need to touch on literally everything in the movie, but, um, yeah, my like, uh, <laughs> overwrought note taking is be damned. Um, <laughs> so I, no, I, I have a like tangent. It's not, it's relevant. Um, but I have a, a spiel that I'm going to go on, but it is related. Like, and this is specifically in response to like your comments about how you experience the film and like based on like your life experiences and, and um, you know, how, how that like colors your reading. Um, I think like I'm, I'm definitely going through that as well. And it's funny because I, I kind of like talked to you briefly about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, like a little bit of what I'm about to talk about. Um, but it's really funny that after we recorded our last episode, which at this point is now like four weeks ago, because we did a question bucket. Yeah. After we recorded it, I was like, oh, I feel so tense and like twisted up. Um, and I feel like I was super rigid on the podcast and just like, you know, yeah, just all like emotionally twisted up and I couldn't figure out why. And then a couple of days after I was like, it just suddenly hit me that I'm like, oh yeah, I haven't talked at all about like father son relationships and that's really weird because that is such a huge part of like what we're talking around. Um, and obviously a core like lever for all of the themes, this relationship between Gendo and Shinji is such a core like crux for all of the stuff that I have been trying to talk about. And like for me as well, um, personally, like my experiences with my dad are really resonant with what's going on. Um, and I hadn't really thought about it. Um, it's not like I had made a choice to not talk about it or whatever. Um, I had you, just like, you don't just like immediately spill all of your trauma all over the podcast. Like I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe a little bit, or it's not that I would like hesitate to do that. It's just that I didn't even like consider it. And it was just all like, occurring to me all at once like oh that's really weird that i didn't even consider that um yeah and then i felt like you know um well of course i have to bring this up when we talk about eoe um not only because it's like significant for uh the ending but also like because now that i'm now that i'm thinking about it like withholding it just doesn't feel right Especially because of like, I think what we, how we dis- how we discuss anime, um, and like how you have been, you know, open with like your how your life experiences affect how you read it. I was just like, yeah, it's just not right for me to like not talk about this. So even though it's weird that I'm like jamming at the end, um, I want to like bring this in now. 
Um, I mean, I think it has suffused. This is one of the reasons why I do it, which is that I just don't think that like truly objective readings of media are ever fully possible. Like, I think human perception and and human like reactions to things are always going to have a degree of subjectivity, and I think there's like value in putting that subjectivity out there as like a thing that is informing the reading. Um, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. My, my brief interruption here, as you're about to do that very thing. Yeah, um, and and again, like for I think our shared vision of ghost divers, and for like you, and for our listeners as well, like um, that's just like you know withholding something that's so significant, and and as you said, like suffusing my engagement with this thing is just like. Not, not what I want to do. So anyway, all of that like overdramatic build up. Um, I think I there's a sense in which I I think I have to like read EOE this way because I like I come from a long line of Gendos who each like reproduced this like exact type of trauma that we have been talking about, like Gendo trying to reproduce in Shinji. And there's this like strong legacy of misogyny uh, and violence and abuse, like throughout the whole like patrilineal line. And I, so having gone through this, like having experienced this mostly when I was like 10 and 11, um, it has like this kind of struggle with, um, with these forms of violence and this reproduction of like misogyny has, has played a big role in my life as well. And, you know, when I was Shinji's age, like when I was in my early teens, especially, I experienced a lot of the same, like, you're gonna have to add out some long pauses here. Um, I experienced a lot of like the same emotions and just like Shinji, like I, because of this, the like trauma that happened in my family, I spent a lot of this time like vacillating between just like, total numbness and anger and like completely not having the tools to even like process, uh, of course, you know, the intergenerational legacy, um, but even to just process like the marks that and the traces of it that were existing in me at the time. And, you know, so again, I vacillated between just like total numbness and just like anger uh, from this over yeah. this pouring out of emotions and this frustration of not being able to grapple with them or articulate them. And in my early teens, I like also lashed out, you know, mentally, like in my own worldview and verbally, like against people, specifically against like, I mean, girls uh, around me at the time. And Fortunately, like, I mean, I'm recording this now on my 28th birthday, (laughs) um, over a decade later. And 
I've been very fortunate to have relationships in my life, um, a combination of coincidences and the love of others um, and the patience of others that have like allowed me to get to a point where I can grapple where I've been able to grapple with this and, you know, somewhat articulate it uh, and move forward. And, but it's still obviously something that like you can't forget. Um, Yeah. And like at this point, you know, this thing with Shinji and Gendo where um, you're ha- having like very little or no relationship with my father. The the thing, another thing that I like uh, incidentally about the like show versus the manga is the manga like fills in so much of like the gaps with Shinji and Gendo where it's like inserting dialogue and it's inserting like internal, you know, like thoughts and stuff. Um, what they think about each other and like things they're saying to each other. Whereas in the show, it's just like so much is left unsaid. So much is silent. And for me, like that is tremendously poignant and true. And to kind of get to my point, like um, in my life now, you know, all of this stuff we've been talking around about like choosing otherness in spite of like having this, you know, the pain of engaging with others because of this doubt and self-hatred and like guilt and all of these things. Um, and still having to like choose to move forward, um, is such a big part of like, my life now and that's why this this narrative or at least you know as i see it this narrative that's being set up between like gendo trying to reproduce himself and his trauma and shinji and then shinji making this break this definitive breakaway and not only shinji for that matter but ray and um misato and other characters um but the idea of this this cycle, this reproduction of like misogyny and like toxic masculinity being broken and someone having to like contend with the full brunt of that and experience like everything that goes into that um, and still have to find a way to like choose uh, to, to, to get yourself to a point where you can confront that and choose your way out of it um, for me is like deeply uh, affecting. So I think to some extent, like, you know, I present this reading and like I try and bring in Christopher and so on and so forth. But of course, like I'm going to fully cop to it. Um, you know, maybe I have to like read the series this way because, you know, this is just like, what I need to see. Um, and, and on my end, like the, the part of it that is true to me and, you know, I, that's not even in opposition to like 
I mean, this part is not even in opposition to like your reading of it um, at this point either. I don't think, but uh, yeah, I just um, I think you know to temper like the all of the uh, insistence and rigid like argumentation um, and like I mean, I'm sure people are super tired of hearing me say otherness and alienation. <laughs> Uh, at this point, no. Joao is eating this up. Um, oh, perfect. Has been sending me screenshots of like, has been like, I'm currently reading through Christova and like, is there a part where she talks about melancholia? Because I feel like that's also related to what's going on with Shinji. And I'm like, well, she has an entire book on yeah, it, so like, you can maybe. you can check out that book. I don't actually remember if it comes up in Powers of Horror, but like, it might. Um, but she, like she has a whole book that gets into it, so yeah, yeah, yeah she has she has a whole book. Yeah, I found at least one person it. who's literally reading along with with our podcast. So that's that's <laughs> thank fantastic. you, Joel. Um, yes, thank you. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, I just want to be like you know uh, all of this like overwrought argumentation that I've been bringing in that everyone except Joel is like totally over. <laughs> um, I'm copying to it. Like, you know, to some extent, I, I, I have to, like, I just can't help but, like, see this. Or maybe I need to see this. Yeah. I mean, this is the, like, this is part of what media criticism even is to me. Which is not to say that it is, like, oh, let me just use this media to, like, talk about myself constantly. But that there are going to be, like that a piece of media is a thing that is created by someone and it is like created to elicit some sort of emotional reaction from someone. And yet I think especially the, the best art is having a dialogue to some degree with the viewer where the viewer is also bringing their own experiences and is arriving at a reading and the, those readings are going to differ between people. And that I don't think that those different those differing readings can be fully reducible to like here is just like some objective, like, Oh, let us like break down, you know, we, we can like arrive at the correct reading. Like, <laughs> I don't think that that is like, that is possible that that is like what media criticism is meant to be. Um, that good media criticism is able to bring in like, what is the actual dialogue that is happening between the, the critic or like the person who's approaching this work and then the work itself. Um, and how's that dialogue like playing out and revealing something about the work, about the critic themselves and about like things that are beyond both the work and the critic. Um, and that's like, what is interesting and valuable about criticism. And it is, it is a, it is a thing that will like, like, this is not a podcast that's about consumer advocacy. Here's the <laughs> anime you should watch. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Um, um, although... This is know, a podcast about, like, let us look at these things and try and figure out, like, why is this meaningful? Why is this something that, like, one or both of us cares about to any re- degree, right? Like, OA's team is a series that I don't think either of us have super strong feelings about, and yet it's still interesting to go, like, how do how are we reacting to this? Um, and Evangelion is a series that I think both of us have incredibly strong feelings about. <laughs> and that's, yeah. I think, coming down to why we were able to synthesize a reading on 08 versus Ava. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
because um, both of us are like tied up in what does Ava mean about like my own experience of like being a traumatized person and and trying to move past it and what does that look like and where am I arriving and what am I looking to um yeah yeah and I uh yeah we're definitely not doing like Chris consumer guide over here um yeah I'm I'm always like anime you should watch this anime season. Yeah. <laughs> um I mean but you should you should probably watch all the anime that we talk about. Um Yeah. But again, I don't blame anyone who's like I listen to your content warnings and I'm going to peace out on this one, but uh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of, of course. Um I I think I think all of the anime that we talk about are probably worth watching and and if they're not, we'll say so. But yeah. uh also I, to to be clear I always think that part of the value of content warnings is not necessarily that people will see them and then choose not to engage, but will instead like be able to choose when they are able to engage and to like go in prepared in a way that they can actually like can engage and not have responses to it that are going to make it hard for them to like I part of why I was dreading end of Evangelion is because I knew that I had trauma around like abusive relationships that was going to make me have feelings about the movie that were going to be difficult and I I I put off watching the movie because I did not want to confront those for a while (laughs) Um, yeah and then I I watched it and I was like it was actually not as bad as I thought and some of that is that I've probably moved past some, some of this trauma and some of it is the movie had become so reduced for me to that in a way that like I was able to watch it and then like see it as more complex than the, the reduced version that I had. So. Yeah. As someone who also like put off watching the film and like, I like I liked the fucking film and I put <laughs> off watching it. Um, I think that also has to do with the fact that like, I think I, I think I already told you this, but when I watched it, uh, back in you know grad school um i was like extremely high and the scene with of asuka's death like oh it just it hit me so viscerally that i like had to run to my sink and throw up and i think there was just something where my body was like no not again um yeah but it it wasn't yeah likewise it wasn't that bad um for me watching it this time yeah that scene is still rough it is it's it's horrible. i imagine it's way rougher if you're um high and instead of realizing that dr pepper tastes good you are um really really focusing on what it would feel like to be disemboweled by a bunch of terrible machines yeah and like procrastinating heavily on your thesis like well past the point where procrastination was like a very dangerous proposition (laughs) um yeah Yeah, just going through the trauma of grad school again of course i watched this going through the trauma of being a suicidally depressed teen in an abusive relationship so um yeah yeah but to get back to your point you're making neither are recommended ways to watch it (laughs) (laughs) um yeah although i think we have uh one one listener who i don't think they're in grad school yet but considering it, um, yeah, we may have listeners who are currently in grad school. In which, in which case, um, I you're you're in our thoughts. Um, 
but to get back to your point about content warnings, um, so much of the like anti-content warning like thing for me is just reduced to like <laughs> like a demand. Like, how should I put this? To me, it's just really like ridiculous to demand that like, yeah, not only do you like have to engage with this, but you have to be like surprised by potentially traumatic material. Like, I'm demanding that you be surprised by this. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I find that ridiculous. Yeah, but, it's like this weird, like, content warnings are not allowed because they're spoilers. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, um, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you you not being spoiled on the content of a movie is definitely way more important than someone not having a, like, really intense traumatic response to something. Sure. Yeah. fuck you <laughs> <laughs> um so do you want to uh talk about like some of the other scenes um or... i mean i'm i'm fine not but i don't know if there's any specific scenes you want to pull out um, um what about shinji and misato's kiss <laughs> yeah like this is one of those where i'm like i don't like this is another one of why i'm like I mean, it happens in the manga too, but I, it's one of those things that I just like, don't like, mm. <laughs> like I, I, there's a certain amount of like, okay, it's like tying into, but it, it just like ties into this like certain view of the sexes and that I think like falls into misogyny sometimes as well. Um, and, and falls into, I don't know, we, we've talked previously about how there's a certain reading of the series as being like kind of setting up like here's Misato and Shinji and then here's Kaji and Asuka and we're like drawing attention to the actual creepiness of Misato and Shinji in a way that like certain viewers might not be picking up on but then like when it gets paralleled with Kaji and Asuka like might become more pronounced but for me as a person who just immediately knows that like misato don't do this it's just like i don't i don't know if this does anything for me <laughs> i don't know if this is like actually doing anything meaningful or interesting for me and it kind of just ends up being gross and um unfortunately we're probably gonna have to talk about this in more detail when we get to second gig so that's also mm -hmm. one of the reasons where i'm like we can just really talk about this when we get to second gig because i'm gonna i'm gonna have these same feelings and i'm gonna like really get in it for second gig whereas here i'm just like it sucks <laughs> yeah i i think it's weird for misato's character to some extent um and then obviously it's weird for all the obvious for, for, for the reasons that you went into um i just like, think it seems to really fall into this like misato's whole thing is like wanting again in this way where like part of why it becomes frustrating for me is that like, I know that I, as a person in relationships, like value physicality and like value that the like physical expressions of love, which can be sexual, but it can also just be like cuddling or like leaning on someone or like, but like physical touch is important. And I think this is like, a thing that comes up with Misato, but it is sometimes handled in this like weird misogynist way of like almost like slut shading shaming her. And again, I don't want to like fully relitigate what of this is like 
the series or whatever being this misogynist and what is it like portraying this is a thing that exists in society and that like it's just the viewpoints of other characters yeah and that like misato herself probably struggles with like feeling like she's a slut and that that is like an internalized thing that a lot of women go through and that Um, there are like real there are people who you know really do like have these thoughts and like struggle with these things yeah and also like and who relate to sex in this way that misato does yeah right and like um it, you know the fact that she's like presented as a person who like relates to sex in this way like there there are people who like who relate to sex in this way and there's nothing wrong with that yeah um but yeah and but so then like having it happen here is one of these things where like it fits a certain internal logic but it's just this like it it just one it like it fits an internal logic for the show and the fact that this like works as an internal logic for the show is like frustrating to me because my more genuine reading as someone who like deeply uh identifies with misato in many ways um sees this as like kind of a a violation of like who she is that has been like hinted at by some of the other ways that she's engaged with Shinji. Um, but it is like pushing it to an extreme that just feels like, again, like this movie is so caught up in like showing the extremes of human suffering and everything, but it's just, uh, yeah, it like, it does not, I just get very, very like it's bad and I'm, I'm frustrated with it and it doesn't, it feels like a fundamental divide between like how I'm understanding Misato and how the show and the movie is understanding Misato. That is again, like coming down to a certain worldview and it is coming down to a certain level of misogyny that I think is like present in the show and has some value as a thing that is like being portrayed about, a reality of the world and yet is also like not challenged in the ways that would be like actually interesting to me. Um, I think it is still challenging some of these like misogynistic things, but it's just, I know that if I was handling it, I would be like challenging it in ways that would feel more like engaged and interesting to me than what the show is doing. Um, if that makes sense. So. Yeah. So on your view, do you feel like the, Misogyny is in the suggestion that, like, she is, like, attracted to Shinji or that she just, like, doesn't know any other way to, like, she somehow doesn't know any other way to comfort him other than, like, the sex thing. Or is Um, it something else? I think it's kind of a way that the show is... And like the this movie is so committed to like the the like I, I think a thing that I often run up with these things is that there's a lot that strikes me as true and yet often it like is trying to push things to extremes and then it does so in such a way that it like m- moves into like tropey character uh like tropey things or like archetypical things mm. and you know there are certainly going to be things that will match an archetype. And yet it's like so prevalent throughout this show that it then becomes like, it is frustrating to see Misato just like 
it is this like Misato only knows this way to interact with Shinji because what Misato is meant to be is a representation of like this like slutty way of engaging with human relationships. And I just feel like, like one of the tensions for me is that like so much of this show feels deeply human and is like touching on actual human things. And that's what I'm really like connecting with and resonating with, with mm-hmm. in the show. But then there are these moments where it pushes it to this archetype um, where it, I am like losing that humanity and I am losing it in ways where like, I feel like it would be more interesting if it was more like firmly contained, like remained or like explored and so especially as someone who identifies with misato who sees the way that she interacts with people as a thing that is like similar to the way that i am bratty that i am like uh that physicality is important to me that like i have these relationships to sex that are not fully what is portrayed with misato but that i can like still see myself in and yet it then like gets pushed to this extreme that feels um, somewhat dehumanizing to her. And I think that's where like some of the misogyny comes in and also like feels like it like pushes out of reality into a certain unreality that like doesn't uh, finally end up at anything that's like interesting to me as someone who like goes through these things to actually explore um and going through these things is like specifically just like these ways of relating to human beings and again not that like misato hits on a child (laughs) yeah which is just a firmly like don't yeah and it it's like the way that it gets like mingled into this like pedophilic thing that like gets particularly like frustrating and gross to me yeah like Um, yeah you don't want to see misato doing that um yeah i think for me, that was my first reaction to this scene where I'm just like, uh, like, don't do this to Misato. Like, Misato's not attracted to Shinji. Like, this isn't, yeah. you know, convincing <laughs> for me. I'm like, I, I think there's a read. Like, I don't think my even read on what's supposed to be happening here is that Misato is attracted to Shinji. I think right. it is Misato trying to motivate Shinji. And the only way she knows how is this. Um, but that's also equally frustrating to me in these ways of like yeah yeah i feel like it's less about for me at least it's it's less about like this is the only way she knows how because this is immediately following like one of the most like nuanced and important like monologues in the like if i'm counting the film as part of the series like you know in the whole series so I feel like, okay, like Misato is presented, she's capable of like motivating people and, and all these other ways. Yeah. And like, she's capable of this deep insight, but I feel like this is a, a moment where it's like, it's less about her, like, oh, this is the only way I know how, and more about like, this is what Shinji for some reason, like, well, actually we know the reasons. This is what Shinji needs, like, in this moment. And it's more centered on, like, Shinji, like, and Shinji needing this versus, like, Misato's inability to do anything else. And, you know, I think that's all rooted in, like, he's, he is having this crisis of alienation that's also, like, 
deeply related to sexual repression and, and all of that. Um, and I feel like it is an instance of like the, the thing that you described before where with Kaji and Misato, where it's like, kiss me and like knock me out of this spiral of self-loathing. Um, yeah. That's- yeah. There's a, there's a certain amount of what's happening here too. That is like, we've talked previously about the paralleling of, um, Kaji and Misato and then Shinji and Asuka that like happens again and again throughout the show and then like as part of that there is also then the like the crossing that then occurs of like Asuka and Kaji and Misato and Shinji um and I feel like it's also like playing into that like way of things being paralleled which again is tying into this like division of the sexes thing for me but um yeah, I, I will, like, let you finish your thought, but I, I, I'm kind of agreeing with, like, I think it is, like, still playing within the, those within those parallels, but it's just this thing that's, like, I don't know. I kind of see what they're doing, but I also, it yeah. just, like, I, I feel like they could do it in ways that would be more interesting and less creepy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, that's pretty much my, my read on it. And I, I think that's what's going on. And I, I don't think that the show is like, I don't think the show is, is making that conclusion about Misato or, or even necessarily leading us to that conclusion. Um, I, I, I think it just, I think it's a, a moment of her like intuiting. Um, and, and as you said, like we, we can ground that by, you know, um, what has come before with her and her and Kaji. So there's some grounding for that. Um, that gets a moment of her intuiting that like what Shinji needs is like, is this, you know, this like kiss or whatever. Interestingly, I, I like this episode, you know, I feel like the manga does more of like what you were saying initially than the show does because the manga so I don't think the show has the part where she's like, more of this will happen. Like, we'll do this more when you. No, that for sure happens in the, the movie as well. Does it? Um, Is it a different dialogue? Because. Um, um, I would have to look at my exact notes, but there is like some like, we'll continue this when you return or whatever. Okay. Um. Yeah, because I think the. Okay, well. Well, maybe let's talk about this in the question bucket when we revisit the show. Because <laughs> um, I, th- I thought the show, the, or sorry, the, the movie is like, this is a grown up kiss. And like when something about like, you will get to experience this more or like you will do this more when you come back. And it's not specifically like with me, whereas the, the like manga is specifically like, we will do this together. Um but I, I could be wrong. And then uh, the only thing, the only other thing that I really wanted to talk about, um, and this is also related to the difference between like the manga and the film, um, is this transition between the end of part one and the beginning of part two, where like, so all, all these things happen with, Asuka, we don't have to go through all of that again. Um, and Shinji 
is like part one concludes with Shinji like witnessing what's happened to Asuka and then entering into like berserker rage or whatever. Um, and the thing that I find significant about this is like in any other, pretty much any other mecha, like the thematic logic, like we know what comes next. Um, there is going to be some like climactic revenge battle where Shinji like becomes the hero and avenges Asuka and like we the viewer get this catharsis because we're mad because Asuka has been like killed and we want this like revenge catharsis deal um and Shinji is going to be you know there's going to be that like big Gundam climactic battle and we're also going to get this catharsis we're expecting um I bring this up because this is something that I also respect a lot and like a lot about the film. Um, the film like sets this up and then just like straight up denies it. Um, it refuses to give us this catharsis. Like it immediately Shinji is just like crucified or whatever. And there's no big climactic battle at all. It just like segues into, you know, we know what part two is at this point. And the, like, the break with Gundam and, like, Mecha thematic logic here um, is so just, like, powerful and extreme that I I like it a lot as, as a narrative choice, basically. Um, and it's this kind of final rejection. I think we talked way back at the beginning about the opening theme, the irony in it of like young boy become a hero. Um, the way that the series is like inverting and uh, rejecting uh, these kind of received like tropes. And here again, like this is, this is kind of the final completion of that um, where uh the, the film very firmly says, like, this is not a story about robots fighting. Like, this isn't about robots at all. Um, we're going to tease this big battle and then just be like, fuck you, um, to make this point. Um, and it's not about this young boy, like, becoming this triumphant hero and having, again, this, like, triumphalist uh, narrative. Um, it's about, you know... And then fully transitioning into, like, grappling with all these other things that we've been talking about. And I really appreciate this. Like, I, I actually do think this is a a notable, like, risk, um, narrative risk that the film takes. And I was a little bit put off by the manga, like insisting on restoring this um this kind of like young boy hero narrative where like shinji all the lead up with misato and shinji is like oh become the hero save asuka um shinji is like you know we talked about the hospital scene he's just like oh i want to save you i want to save everyone like and then he goes and he like saves Asuka. And it, there's all this language in the manga that's about like, you know, 
that that's all centered on this. Um, and I thought it was just interesting to see like the manga. I think it's related to some of the things that we were talking about before, but I just thought it was interesting to see the manga, like so intently restoring this like Gundam type, um, you know, wanting to, uh, like reinstantiate Shinji as this like heroic shonen, you know, whatever. End of rant. Yeah. I think <laughs> my reading on it, like I, I, I see that reading to some extent, but I think some of my reading on it is um like through what has happened, Shinji has reached a more determined state. And I think in some ways the the way that like end of Evangelion is setting up this crisis of like, Oh, Shinji is becoming like Gendo and is like, you know, reaching this like level of, uh, full, like traumatic break. Basically. I, I think the manga is setting up like things can go different where Shinji becomes the quote unquote hero. And yet still, uh, for, you know, like still wishes for all of this to end. And it, it is like specifically approaching it from like a different perspective, which is, and I think is part of why also the manga still resonates and like works for me in some ways, which is that like one of the, the things that came out of a lot of the trauma that I have and that I like have struggled with and it have gotten better with, but it's like more savior complexy stuff. And I, I think the manga is not presenting Shinji becoming the hero in this like fully idealized form, but rather like moving into this more savior complexy thing of like, oh, I can like save this world and take on the pain and then just like save everyone from pain, um, including myself by like doing this instrumentality and that that is also still not like the correct solution. Mm-hmm. Um, like Shinji saves Asuka and yet still like wishes for the obliteration of humanity and the like unification and that ray also is like set up as i think again in contrast to quaru like quaru specifically being like you have to like end me so that you can continue to live and ray i think in the manga in particular having this like greater sense of which is hinted at in in end of evangelion but like ray wants to connect really deeply with shinji and is Mm -hmm. also like willing to obliterate obliterate humanity to do it and so it is like these ways that like that connection that these people are seeking this like attempt to save the world can also still fall afoul and like end somewhere else but that it is like still maybe achieve like it's still maybe getting them towards something that's a little bit healthier than what happens in an Evangelion, but it is still like, they still go through this cycle. Like being the hero does not spare humanity from everything else that happens. It's not like Shinji, you know, saves Asuka and then kills all the Ava <laughs> units. That would be like the full true heroic ending. Yeah, for sure. You know, third impact never happens um that's not what it is and so i like i don't think that the manga fully asserts that heroic ending i think it is just like presenting it and toying with it as another like unfulfilling way for this to conclude um or like the another way that like still gets us to this like 
core tension. Um, and it is just like approaching it from a different angle. So that that's a very good point. And I, I think that helps me like this aspect of the manga a little better because when I was reading it, um, actually earlier, um, I was like, Oh my, this is like really coming off to me as like totally uncritical and like odd that it's just like slammed in here. I feel like the biggest part where I agree with you, I don't like the stuff with like, like I kind of know what they're trying to do, but I, I don't like Gendo saving Shinji and then the like conversation and stuff. Like I know yeah. how it's trying to set up like the, the tension between these different like things that choices that Shinji could make and things like that. But I do strongly prefer Gendo just like, they're never being the true resolution between Shinji and Gendo that sometimes those things never will resolve. And what happens in the manga feels like too much of a resolution for me. And I especially hate the part where uh, there's, I mean, does this happen in end of Ava as well? I feel like that, like it doesn't get quite as drawn out as the manga, but there's like a certain like, Oh, there's Yui and Gendo standing under the tree. And I'm just like, no, like fuck Gendo. Okay. Yui. I feel like there's like a brief shot of at least Yui under the tree that we get in End of Evangelion. Um, but I don't remember if Gendo is there or not. But uh, yeah, like, especially when it happens in the manga, it feels like such an affront that like Gendo is there because one thing that I like about the manga is I think in End of Evangelion, we see like Gendo's body missing after like Yui talks to him. Um, in the manga, it is like very specifically portrayed that gun, like Gendo's body His is still soul there. Is like, saved. it literally well, says, it, "Well, go on." Sorry. <laughs> the the image that happens is like Ray has this whole like, "No, I'm not going to, like, I don't want to join with you. You're not like the person I want to join with." Um, and I'm I actually have the manga in here. I'm just it's like, like flipping it's, through. That's not the hand I'm seeking. Yeah, I think is what she says. Um, which again is like tying into this whole hand thing. Yeah. But then, so then after everyone is like exploding, like we've got Misato <laughs> going after Hyuga. Um, we've you know, got casually like, everyone's exploding. Yeah, <laughs> Ritsuko and Maya. We've got Kaji and Asuka, and we have the conversation that happens with Yui and Gendo, um, and that like conversation is drawn out, and yet at the very end we see. Gendo laying there and is still in his body and there's like you know Ritsuko has turned into Gatorade here but Gendo has not <laughs> um, like I, I'm specifically flipping through of like like let me just even go through because I think some of this is important where Yui's talking to like I wanted to protect the proof of our love. I didn't want him to disappear along with humanity's fate. That is why I stayed with Ava. They're talking about Shinji here. This is, yeah, this is you speaking. Yeah. Um, he will live now and forever. After all, he is our child. Remember how it felt to touch him for the first time. Remember his warmth. Um, and it's like a young Gendo sticking his finger out and Shinji grabbing as like a baby in the hospital bed. Um, the like little thing that they give you the like clear this is like the exact same one that when i had my child they put them in so (laughs) but Uh anyway um remember how precious he was and the strength of his life 
Um, and then the child grabs Ante Gendo's finger. Uh, you know, Shinji does. Um, and Yui says, and our wish for him to live. And Gendo's looking up at Yui. Um, standing there, we can see, like, Ray in the background. And then Gendo closes his eyes, but is still just laying there. And, like, never turns into the LCL. Never gets to join the souls. Um, and then we have the whole thing of, like, conversation between Ray and Shinji in the, the weird planet space. Um, so, and so, like, so much of that is, like, for me, is, like, Gendo specifically does not get to have what he wanted. Gendo does not get to, like, you, like, Gendo gets to have this conversation with Yui, but does not get to, like, have the merging, the, yeah, the, like, the merging, which is what he's been seeking this entire time. Um, but then when Shinji sees Yui, it's Yui and Gendo both standing there. And I, it's unclear if it's Yui or Gendo who says live, live and walk on your own two feet. It will be all right. As long as the sun and the moon and the earth exist, it will be all right. Um, Isn't there like a panel where Gendo says it and the panel where Yui says it? Um, one says live and the other one says live and then like continues talking. Yeah, it. So it seems to suggest that Gendo says live and then Yui's the one who speaks after that. Um, but um, yeah, like I kind of just wish that Gendo wasn't there. Yeah. Um, and it's it's like, especially with them showing Gendo's body remaining there, i.e. suggesting that he doesn't get the like unity. I kind of just, I want Gendo to like not get anything that he wants because he's such a terrible human being. <laughs> Yeah, and um, it might be that. So I read the online version. In the online version, there's a caption in that like um, in that panel where Gendo is like he's closed his eyes and he's lying like dead or whatever. There's a panel or there's a caption that says like his soul was saved. I don't know if that? you have that. No. Okay, no. I, I don't know what's going on there, but that like. That put me off for the reasons that <laughs> related to the reasons you're describing. Um, I, yeah, I fully agree with you. Um, I didn't like, I think I, I kind of mentioned this earlier. Um, throughout the entire manga, I, I didn't care much for like the presentation of Gendo. And I think, especially this ending bit, um, my impression is that it kind of ties in to the manga's like the manga's inclination to just like want to save everybody and like they want it wants to kind of like give everyone a happier ending than I I know I'm being like over simplistic um but it it seems to kind of want to give everyone a happier ending than the the film does but I'm like that's not true to me because not everyone has a happy ending, especially people like Gendo. Yeah. Um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna like side by side take a photo of this and send it to you. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, I will like try to remember to post this on the Twitter account when this goes up. <laughs> so, um, and the the reason I feel this way, I'm just gonna illustrate this point by like telling a story. Um, so like. The last time I saw my grandfather, I was, and this is you know many many years ago. 
I was in an IHOP with my dad. My dad and I was staying with my dad at the time. And uh, we were meeting my grandparents for like, you know, breakfast at IHOP, as all, you know, Southern families do. Um, and my grandfather, like, was, he, he was an extreme misogynist. Um, and, and very abusive, like, you know, along those lines, you know, you can kind of fill in the blanks there. And he was like, the, the last conversation we had was like, he was sexually harassing the waitress or the server, I should say, and like berating my grandmother and my dad and, and like berating my dad's like his, his now wife, my stepmother. Um, and my dad like got up and walked out of the restaurant. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, okay, well, that's my ride. So I got to go. Um, so I also like, I get up and I'm walking out of the restaurant, but I'm kind of walking with my grandparents, you know, it's a weird situation. And my grandfather just like pulls out a shitload of cash from his pocket and just like puts it in my hand. And he's like, well, you know, Connor Joe, like, I'm going to give you this money and don't tell your daddy that I'm giving it to you. Cause if you do, he's going to try and cheat you. Um, and uh so I'm like, okay, you know, oh thanks, grandpa, like blah blah, blah. see you in a, you know, see you next time. <laughs> and um about like two weeks later, um he drove his motorcycle off a mountain and like died, obviously. <laughs> um and that was the last conversation I had with my grandfather. Um and that's how he died. And I, I only bring up that story like not only because it's uh, Parts of it are amusing, but also because, like, for me, like, I don't really want to see Gendo get some cheap, like, forced redemption. And maybe I got a weird version online where it's like his soul is saved, but I'm just like, no, it's not. <laughs> his soul is not yeah. saved. Uh, um, I sent you the, the photo online. Okay, um, let, me, let me look at it. I'm looking at some of the other, there's like notes of like, finally, the climax continues in June um, and stuff that's like not in the volume I read. Um, I don't know if this is like specifically from the like magazine printing or something, but um, it does have the like what appear to be magazine covers or whatever. Yeah. On which I I detest, by the way. Yeah. Specifically, the ones for for Ava that I'm seeing in the online version, but it, it might be the magazine printing. I, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Um, um. Obviously, this like some of the stuff too seems like it may have been like fan translation from the magazine. But yeah, no, like I yeah, I don't know if you looked at the photo, but it's just like literally not yeah. there. Yeah, that's really odd. Well, okay. I mean, I <laughs> I prefer that. <laughs> Um, I prefer the version you have. Um, but, uh, nonetheless, like the difference in the manga and the film is still like, you know, I, I like what the film is doing better, uh, yeah. because it feels more true to me that like some people never escape this. Um, yeah. And I mean, 
I, I can like tell my own little story too about so usually when I talk about my grandparents, I just mean my Oma and Opa, which was my dad's side of the family. Um who, you know, both German, like my dad was born in Germany. Um, because on my mom's side of my family, my grandma died when I was like not even one. Um, I guess I was technically at her funeral. I have no memories of her. I don't remember the funeral. I was too young to like have memories form in my brain, um, when this happened. Um, and so I only know her from like photographs and stories that my mom has told. And I know that her dad was abusive to some degree. Um, I think mostly like verbally and emotionally and not really physically, um, but my mom definitely had like a lot of issues with her dad, both growing up. And then also like, even as I was a kid, um, and he remarried like a couple years after my grandma died. Um, and so I have like very few memories of when I was very little with my grandpa um, despite the fact that the the name that I gave up was my grandpa's name, uh, like the given name that I originally had was my grandpa's name. And I just like don't really have memories of him at all because what happened is he remarried and the woman that he remarried was also very abusive, both to him and also my mom. And eventually at a certain point decided that she hated my mom and just like basically forbid my grandpa from ever seeing my mom or like us as kids. Um, and so most of my childhood, I just did not know my grandpa and the woman that he married. Um, like I have like three memories of them from very early on before this like break fully happened. Um, and it's like three long stories that my grandpa told me one about, uh, eating peas and spaghetti. Um, one about a time that, uh, wasp went down a straw and he drank it and it stung his tongue. <laughs> um, and, uh, I think it actually might be those two. I don't know if I have a third one. Cause I was like, it was about grilled cheese and I was like, no, I was eating grilled cheese when he was telling me about the wasp. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was like, it's basically those two stories that I have. Um, I have a very vague memory. Oh, the one other thing I have is the woman that he remarried yelling at my mom for, uh, like having too much water in the bathtub and that I would drown or something. Cause it needs to be like just an inch. And also it was wasting water. Um, I also have that memory. Um, and so the, I basically never saw him until literally he was dying of leukemia and I went to see him and he was just like fully, like he was very close to dying. Um, he had like jaundice and was gaunt, um, was like needing people to like carry him to the bathroom and everything. Um, and he, I was sitting in the kitchen and he like broke down and cried about how sorry he was that he was never in my life. And I felt nothing <laughs> yeah. like I, I, I had no connection to this human being other than just like the sadness of seeing someone dying of cancer. Like that was the sadness I had. And yet, and like when he died, I, I didn't cry. I didn't feel anything. And then like three months later, I was just taking a shower and just thinking about how he died and I didn't feel anything. And I started crying about the fact that I felt nothing about like the person whose name at that time I still had 
was like my name and i like i was named after this person and i felt nothing about them i didn't cry when he died and now i'm just crying about the fact that like i feel like i should feel something and i don't feel anything yeah um and there's no like resolution to the relationship that i had like the resolution that i got with the relationship that i had with my grandfather is when i came out as trans i picked another name and when i told my parents i was trans and i was going with this name they were like oh but we named you after your like grandfather like it's sad to lose that and i was just like no he means nothing to me like i don't i don't want his name all i know is that he was like abusive to you and then like never spoke to me as a child i don't care for this person (laughs) and that's like a resolution that i had to come to that is separate from like any resolution that you could get like i could not tell in that say to him in that moment it's fine it's okay because it wasn't right (laughs) like you just weren't in my life like what what do i do with that like i'm you feel bad about it i that's not resolution (laughs) yeah so anyway yeah it's i also want gendo to not get anything close at all resembling resolution i just want him to lose his hand to ray and die (laughs) Yeah, and and I feel like, you know, we we I mean we've talked so much about what the show, film, manga are all doing, um, and the kind of you know strengths and weaknesses of to use a, a wholly inadequate um, phrasing uh, of each. It, but I just want to like cap this off by saying that. With the like mo of the series and the film, um, I feel like this is an instance where its its focus and and what it is like trying to do is is really important because like I, I don't want to just see like everything just get massaged over and it like is it tragic that what is is it tragic that this has happened to Gendo? Like, absolutely. Um, there is like a tragedy in the fact that, you know, his abusiveness like surely comes from, you know, some sort of like trauma that he's experienced. And, you know, I, that, that's interesting, but also like there, there is a reality where you know, relationships between, like, people who abuse and the people who are abused, like, there isn't resolution, and sometimes, like, there doesn't need to be, or there shouldn't be. And some of these people who abuse, like, they just never work through it, and pretending, like, everyone has a happy ending is just, like, uh, disingenuous to me. Yeah. Um, do we have any final thoughts, or do do we want to finally wrap up? Um, Ray saying no to Gendo just best fucking part of this movie. <laughs> yeah, I love. Um, I don't know if you saw my my note, but um, <laughs> one of my yeah. notes says this is one of the most powerful scenes in all of, like in the series, but I mean all of Ava. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I love that scene. Um, you want to go first here? Yeah, I mean, so this is one that, you know, I warned about because it it is, um, 
an, an image that is depicting like sexual abuse, but is also this like culmination of Ray as a character throughout like the series, both the show and the manga as this like person who is trying to break from being so incredibly deeply like ensconced into like the abuse that Gendo is doing and the, like the way that he is using people. Um, and like in this moment, just fully taking control and being like, no, I'm not your doll. I'm not you like, you know, in the manga, this is not like the hand that I want. I'm going to like sever Adam from you. (laughs) Um, yeah. And it's just like, there, there is something really, really like, there's something profoundly important for me in this of like, Ray really asserting herself as this individual in the face of, of Gendo and his attempts to like destroy it. Um, it, it is one of the most like powerful moments of like, I'm an individual in the face of this like nihilism. Um, and then like goes on to still offer that possibility to Shinji being like, I don't, we, we still have to like figure this out. I, I have like asserted myself in the face of this one person, but I like need to still work through it. So, um, which again is like pointing to this, this, um, arriving at a conclusion once is not like a full stop ending. Yeah. Yeah. I think, so there's the scene and then there's also um there are some a couple I believe earlier scenes of Ray in EOE that are just like completely silent and they're just images of her like um I can't remember exactly what they are um yeah the the important one is like her waking up and leaving and then we see the like smashed glasses Yes. I don't think we see her actually smash the glasses, but we see them smashed. Yes. So the kind of culmination of um, the scene that we discussed previously, I think in in our previous episode, um, where she's squeezing the glasses. um, I know we talked about that at length as like this departure point where she's finally kind of rejecting Gendo. But yeah, here we see in the smashed glasses, which is just an amazing, um, an amazing touch. Um, the kind of culmination of that. So there's, yes, there's a scene of her leaving. And then there's the other one where I think she's in, um, I'm not even going to try. Uh, what I do remember <laughs> is that they're, um, totally like silent. And yet, like, like with so much of what we see with Ray, the way that she is presented, the silence speaks volumes and is so powerful. And I feel like maybe this is just me being biased because I kind of knew what was going to happen. Um, but even though these scenes have no dialogue and really nothing to like suggest what's about to happen, I feel like they very powerfully like prepare you for it. And there's a sense. I, I probably, I feel like I didn't really articulate this very well the last time that we, uh, talked about like Ring Indo. Um, but this sense of Ray 
like conveyed through silence and just images of her um this sense of this like ancient um immense power that she possesses that's like gathering and leading to like her being able to break from gendo and like overpower him in a way um so i really liked the um I, I thought the scenes with her were very like evocative and I really liked the scenes leading up to this as well. Um, and then of course, like, as you said, this, this way of culminating, like the Gendo Ray um, relationship, it, at least for me is like, is very satisfying. And also um, a final blow, I think to the, um, the segment that we've just read at before, um, but the people who would have Ray as like, who would agree with Asuka that Ray is just somehow a doll? Um, I think this is the final blow to that view. So um, yeah, I guess to end on a high note there. Unless you um, had anything else you wanted to touch on. Um, no, I think to yeah, uh, Misato. I mostly identify with, but also, again, I, I look back at who I was and I, I think I see myself more in Ray now than Shinji as someone who like broke free, which I think is the, like, I mean, Shinji does in a way, but I, I think Ray has this like a more definitive break that it is in retrospect, more meaningful for me to like look to. Um, and I think is like important to have, Ray more definitively breaking from the like abuse of Gendo to then be the one who offers to Shinji like what is it that you are going to want how are you going to try and break from this um I I think that's just like an important facet of this because I I think sometimes also the breaking of abuse like requires other people before you have done it and can like help you through it so yeah um, yeah um I w- that's exactly what I was going to say. Um, it, I think it's significant that the the choice giver and the chooser um, are both breaking from not, uh, of course, not the same type of abuse, but the same abuser. Um, yeah, and yeah, I think that's a very uh, poignant point. Um, yeah, I so, mean, I think I obviously ident- I identify with Shinji. Um, I also deeply. Uh, in some like in some ways identify with Asuka around like some of the stuff that I've talked about before with like ego and insecurity and and all of that um yeah I definitely I definitely feel for Asuka and yeah I don't know but sorry I I don't see myself in Misato too much (laughs) that is fine and makes sense. <laughs> um, um, although right. it is in- it is interesting because uh, Asuka is also to some degree a brat, but um, you know, I I am a more I I've been a brat far longer than you, Connor. I, I'm more developed. That's why. I'm <laughs> <a brat. laughs> yeah, I'm an um, embryonic brat over here. Yeah. Uh, a brat, uh, and a brat, brat impersonator. <laughs> oh yeah, that that works too. 
Um, um, you're, so you're a brat carcass. Like you're the most advanced stage <laughs> of development. <laughs> this doesn't make sense to people who don't follow my locked. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. Um, um, yeah, and I'm a brat embryo. So we're on opposites <laughs> of, the, of the, you know, of our life journey. The, yeah. Um, all right. I I we done. I think so. Is this okay? I um, I'm honestly I'm relieved. Um, yeah, I'm incredibly excited to get to. I've I've already just been watching Ray Earth. I just started watching Ray Earth. I, I want to watch Ray Earth. Cheater. I love Ray Earth. <laughs> it's. Yeah, maybe I'll start watching Utena. <laughs> That's different, though. I, we've both already watched Ray Earth. True, true. Autumn's the one coming in watching it for the first time. Um, I keep joking that they're going to just, like, absolutely hate it and never want to be on the podcast again. Um, I don't <laughs> think that's going to happen, but... <laughs> um, I hope not, because uh, Ray Earth is, is fantastic and yeah um but to i mean we we will get to some darker stuff in ray earth but also i think it's going to be really nice that like especially the like first episode of ray earth it's just going to be fun yeah it's just yeah the like first 10 episodes of ray earth are just really fun <laughs> even the stuff in ray earth and you know it, i know i know there will be um the stuff in ray earth that is potentially deeply frustrating and uh it potentially quite dark there's just something about the, the package where I'm like, there's just a, there's a mirthfulness to this that, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. So to our listeners, you know, you have that to look forward to. And if you have gone through this journey through Ava uh, with us, thank you. You know, it, it's been a lot. Uh, we know. And yeah, uh, I, I hope that, I think as I've said many times before, um, but especially for Ava, I hope that this gives somebody something and hopefully, uh, you know, if, if Ava is something, I mean, ultimately for me, um, if Ava is something that somebody comes in hating, if any framework that we've set up allows, it provides an opportunity for someone to like, turn something they hate into something that they're just okay with, or maybe something that they even like a little bit. Um, yeah. Or at least like are intrigued with in a way where like, I still have like, I both like and hate Evangelion at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I just want, I just hope that what we've done allows somebody to get something out of it. That is positive. And if not, that's cool too. Yeah. Um, if people have thoughts, you can write into the question bucket, which we'll be recording in approximately a week. Um, I have on here. We're probably recording it July seventeenth, but um, I I'm That's slightly less definitive now. here. Um, well, a week from when people hear this. Episode. <laughs> <laughs> the part of it is that this is just like pretty far out from when we're recording this episode that we will actually be recording this uh, question bucket. The other part is that we're going to be doing this question bucket in the middle of doing Ray Earth and I'm going to leave it up to Autumn whether or not they want to join this question bucket. But um, if they are like scheduling is going to be a little bit weirder for Ray Earth just because the hours that they work. Um, so who knows? It might end up 
not being July 17th, I'll, I will like post when we're recording it on our Twitter. So, uh, anyway, you can write into the question bucket at ghostdiverspod at gmail.com. Um, our Twitter account is ghostdiverspod. So that's where to check. That's also where to check to see like what like media non-anime stuff are we bringing so yeah even if you don't have twitter i think you can at least pull up the account like when this episode goes out and go check and be like oh okay that's what they're going to talk about that's when they're going to record um anyway uh beyond that uh you can support the network we we are on the export audio network and you can go to exportaud.io. um also this has been a while ago now when you're hearing this, but like just happened when we're recording it. You can go to exportaudio slash ghost divers now and find the RSS feed. Uh, so again, you can just search for us on like whatever stuff you want. But if you really want to just like send a link to a friend being like, hey, listen to this rad show, exportaudio slash ghost divers. Also, the exportaudio like webpage talks about us now which was not the case for a while just because it just is an effort to update things. Um, We're moving up in the world. Yeah. Uh, So I already mentioned ghost divers pod on Twitter. Uh, If you want to follow me personally, you can go to Fox mom, Nia, Uh, where can people find you Connor? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Rabelais, R A B B L E A I S. Um, and yeah, I'm sure by the time this goes out, you'll have lots of quality posts there. Um, uh, yeah, um, I totally already do. Um, yeah. So, you know, yeah, they'll be there. Yeah. Um, and of course you can also follow me at, uh, Garf read aloud, which is my Twitter account where I read Garfield into a camera almost every day. I'm getting hiccups. Um, we, we can wrap this. Okay. Uh, Sounds good. Yeah. Um, Disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is us looking back on our Ava episodes and yeah. looking at them in their, their uh, grotesque immensity. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, bye, bye, everyone. <laughs> bye. <laughs>
We should do a time dot is clap. Okay. Um, 35. Oh, God. My thing hitched weirdly. Let's. I didn't even get a chance to clap. Not a problem. Uh, 47. It is, it is doing some weird stuff right now. Yeah, it, there was um, a noticeable delay. Okay. Okay. It, it it seems to be steady now. Let's do one more clap. Okay. Um, uh, 07. That was better. Okay. Yeah, that one felt good. Um, it was like, it was not every second. It's hitching again. What's going on? This is weird. Well, we it just like stayed at yeah it just stayed at 12 seconds and then like didn't go again until 18 um what the hell time that is you're supposed to be good at this this is the <laughs> thing you do it, i mean it might be your internet connection no <laughs> <laughs> no I of refuse. course not of course not um all right cool well um that was that was really nice. Yeah, um, under four hours. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, that's an achievement. Um, there was a part of me that thought this was going to be like two and a half. We could. I was hopeful. It could have been. Yeah. Um. I. There was a moment where I was like, "We've we've put most of our like meme stuff out on the table, and we could end here." But then I'm just like, it just, it would be so weird and it wouldn't feel right to just like only talk about the beginning and the end and then like blow off the entire middle. Um, yeah. It, I don't know. It, it just didn't feel like thorough to me. Um, but we could have totally done two and a half hours. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks. Um, that's not thanks. Sorry for dragging you along on the exposition of the middle part. <laughs> it is no, it is fine. Cool. Um, well, um, I'm sure you probably. I think it, it was good. I, I part of me was like, I did like the idea of us trying to go through the like plot and then like talk about those different scenes and kind of hit on things and then get to the, the end of the series and talk about it. But there's just a point where I was just like, this is just like the sort of Damocles. We just need to have this. Like we (laughs) need to talk. We need to like get it out. Both of our takes out there and try and reach like whatever resolution we possibly can. Even if it's just like, well, we're both still like divided on this, but like, we just know that's where we are now and we can just like finish talking about it now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I didn't mind that at all. Um, I was so like, I think I felt that tension a lot more a few episodes ago or a couple episodes ago. And I was just like, oh my God, I can't even, it's, it's so, it feels so tense. Like both of us knowing that there's this larger point that, (laughs) that we're like need to talk about. And we're just kind of chipping around the edges of it. Um, and, but of course, at that time, it didn't make any sense at all to talk about the end of, you know, to talk about EOE. Um, which, for me, all of, obviously, 
so much of this is like hinging on. But when you were like, no, let's just talk about the ending. I was like, all right, that's fine. <laughs> um, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, we've been needing to do this for, for a long time. If it weren't for the podcast, we would have just like talked about it weeks ago. But yeah. Um, and, and honestly, like Ava is just such a, it was, is so hard to do a podcast about because there's so much like in the series, especially when we're bringing in the manga, there's so much in it to contend with and grapple with. And then there's so much around it, like outside of the series that you have to consider as well. And I'm just like having to like constantly think about all of that. And for me, like the feeling of having to address all of that was, it it was tiring at points, but rewarding. But like, anyway, I was going to say, I feel like I'm really, I'm really satisfied with what we've achieved. Um, because even though, just speaking for myself here, like some of the points that I wanted to make or the things I wanted to bring in, I I don't feel like I did it perfectly or as comprehensively or accurately as possible as you know possible. But at least it's out there now, and we have we've like posed a, a framework that people can like grapple with and follow up on like various different leads that I think are all valid. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think part of what became so hard about it too, is just the fact that we did two question buckets in the middle. Um, and so it just kept being like, Oh, it's like a month between (laughs) like some of these recordings. Um, and so it was just like so long, like, let me pull up the potential schedule. Um, when did we start? Yeah, we started recording. So the first Evangelion episode we did February thirteenth. Really? Yeah. And like we would have watched it like the week before, so it's been like three months, right? Yeah, it has been a long time. Jesus. Yeah. Oh my god. I didn't realize it's just, it had been that yeah, long. Yeah, that's just a long time to be, like, dwelling in Evangelion. Yes, it is. Which, I mean, we're going to spend a while in Ray Earth, but that's just a, like... It's a happier world. Yeah, it's a much nicer place to spend time in. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I will say, though, I'm I'm glad that we had the space between... Especially for this final episode. Um I'm glad that we had the space between like last the last Ava episode and this one. Um because I had gotten to the point and, and maybe this didn't really come through in the recording, and if so I'm thankful. Um I had gotten to the point where I was like for the first time really feeling the the weight of like speaking to an audience and being like anticipating an audience's reaction and that like pressure made me feel like very rigid and i was like in addition to like 
you know, all of the emotional stuff that I talked about. Um, yeah, I felt like I was getting all kind of twisted up um, with anxiety about the thing. And I'm, I'm grateful for that because that's something that I'm like, I had to work through and I'm really glad that I had to. Um, yeah. But in the intervening time between the last like episode we recorded and like this one, um, I had the time that uh, to do that. And I felt a lot better like going into this one. Yeah. Um, I should probably go to bed soon. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I should do the same. Three Sapporos in and I'm like, I've had too many Sapporos. Um, I'm just going to send you this tweet that's in my Twitter feed right now. <laughs> um, just to, to cap us off. I agree with this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I just scroll down to the first reply. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's a good one. Um, Yeah. All right. All right. (laughs) On that note. (laughs) Good good night. All right. Good night. I'll uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Um, Stop recording. Yeah, yeah, I don't know just, if it's just Sapporo like, just has it now. Yeah, so. isn't it? Isn't Ubisu made by the same company? Isn't it yeah. Sapporo that makes it? I don't know if it originally was, but it definitely is now. Oh, I see. I see how it is. Okay. Um, well, you have the second. Are you also drinking Sapporo? Um, I'm drinking Kirinichiban. Okay. Yeah, I had to choose between Sapporo, Kirinichiban, and Asahi. And I choose Sephora. Which, um, like, I don't know. I don't like it that much. It's it's okay, I guess. But... Yeah. I So, let me look. Yeah, so I guess EBC is one of the oldest brands. Um, and then was acquired and eventually retained by Sephora. Okay. Um, it was dormant during post-World War II era, era but resurrected in 1971. Sweet. It's positioned as Sapporo's luxury beer label. Oh yeah, yeah. It's the Sapporo Stella Artois. Mm-hmm. So Misato only drinks Stella Artois. It's good to know. <laughs> so good, good context there. <laughs> but so that's why I had to go with Kirin Ichiban because it says right on the can, premium beer. Yeah. Now I'm just remembering the scenes where people like. Where Shinji will like open up Misato's fridge and it's just packed with Yabisu. <laughs> and I'm like, if I went to someone's house and I opened up their fridge and it was just packed with Stella, I would be like very <laughs> frightened. <laughs> <laughs> I would leave immediately. Okay. Um, oh, let me pull up. Yeah. I- I don't know if you have any specific thoughts about how we should approach recording this episode. I was kind of thinking we would start with just like, here's the synopsis. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then works. do 
a little bit of just like heroes what was noticeably different in the manga about like the end here um and then we can just kind of get into our thoughts about both but i don't know if you want to i don't know if you want to bring in stuff about end of ava first before i talk about the manga or i i think it's just like for me so much of it is like putting these two things side by side pull out a lot of what i want to talk about in both so um yeah um i'm i'm fine with that i'm kind of like I kind of just, you know, want to go with the flow um, on this one. Yeah. So, yeah. And also, I did finish the manga. Um, I skipped ahead to, like, I, I read, like, 70 through the end. Um, okay. So, I read, like, the whole final section. Um, kind of skipped it. So, some of the stuff in the middle I'm missing, but um, yeah, let me... I know the whole, so you I've got... read the whole ending. Yeah, you missed some of the Koru stuff, but um, I mean, we talked about it, but yeah, um, but you, I mean, obviously, don't you can bring that stuff up, and I'll yeah, yeah. So like, I forget what's or whatever, because I know seventy one already has a fair amount of Koru, but he shows up before. Yeah, uh, but I mean, we we talked about that more for the last six episodes, and I think that's where that stuff is more key because Koro mm-hmm. doesn't really show up in the manga uh, for the end of Ava stuff. Um, yeah, and he's which is a thing that I we can talk about, but yeah, okay, sure. Um, uh, any other? Well, we got to do time that is. Yeah, I have some thoughts on Koro where it's like it's one of those where. I tried to say something on the podcast and then like I figured out how to say it after. <laughs> so if it comes up again, I might be like, here, I have a more succinct like thought on that. Oh. The other thing I wanted to say is, do, is there some way we want to do the synopsis stuff? Yeah, let's split it um, like part one, part two of the movie. Okay. I forget where part two happened. Um, is that it is right here. like. Here, can I put it oh, okay, yeah. Um, and of so course, they, they end it with a scream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the um, fucking jazz ballad after that. I might do part one, you can do part two, and then I can do notable differences in the manga. Okay. Um, I feel like since I'm the, the manga one, I should do that, and then that <laughs> will break up me talking for a really long time. So. Yeah, yeah, that works. Um. Okay, time that is. I'm ready when you are. Okay. 51. I didn't hear you clap. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> All right, let's do it again. Uh, 12. There we go. I heard it that time. All right. Um, I just, it was just too loud. The, yeah, yeah it was too loud last time. <laughs> broke the sound barrier. Um, all right. I guess unless you have anything else you want to say right at the top here, we can get into it. Nope. I'm good. Okay. Um, 